Hello there, Comic Clan, and welcome to Comics in the Cross, the greatest streamers you have never heard of. Uh, of course, I'm one of your hosts for today, Cross, along with my partner Someone in crime up in this corner. Sharing it with their what team? is up? Good people. I'm so used to using player. just my camera. I'm now on Discord, so I'm like, everything's flipped. So I'm like, what? who's a white Dude, I'm not squished. I know. It's like, <laughs> hey, I tried to work it as best I could. <laughs> right. I appreciate it. <laughs> but of course, I'm joined by my co-host, Nitro, as always, who is here with us. And we are joined by, again by a very special guest who, if you've been watching the show in the last, probably the last few episodes of the show, he was on not too long ago. David Peppos has joined us once again. We got to delve a little bit into this topic of the OZ last time, but this is going to be a full-blown episode talking all about his amazing Kickstarter that just launched last Monday. And David, welcome back to the show. It's so good to have you back with us. Oh, of course. Uh, it's my pleasure. Thanks so much for having me. And yeah... I'm excited to talk about the the return of the OZ to Kickstarter. It's been a, a book that's been a long time coming, and uh, we're already uh, over 400% funded and counting. And uh, yeah, we're excited to uh, uh, introduce our double-sized second issue uh, to as many new readers as we can. Absolutely. Let me just pull this up here because I wanted to wait until we were on stream to pull up this official numbers from the Kickstarter page because they've been changing so frequently I'd, any numbers that i pulled before we went live were going to be out of date essentially but it's currently sitting right now at twenty six thousand dollars one hundred ninety or twenty six thousand one hundred ninety two dollars funded for a pledge goal of six thousand dollars so a little bit over just a bit and just a six hundred and sixty six backers and there's 23 days left to go yeah, so it's like, so guys, the limit. Um, we're, we're very excited. Uh, for for those who didn't uh, see our first Kickstarter campaign last year, uh, the OZ is kind of like what if the Hurt Locker took place in the Wizard of Oz? It's the story of Dorothy Gale's granddaughter, who is a disillusioned Iraq War veteran who finds herself stranded in the war torn land of Oz. As she discovers her grandmother killing two wicked witches and convincing the Wizard of Oz to leave, and then clicking her heels together and splitting. Uh, plunged Oz into a power vacuum not unlike Baghdad, leaving the country in years of brutal civil war. And so uh, our new Dorothy is now going to have to navigate her grandmother's former friends, the Tin Soldier, the Scarecrow, and the Prince of Lions, if she hopes to survive the horrors of the occupied zone. Or as the locals call it, the OZ. If you like Mad Max, if you like Lord of the Rings, if you like uh, Fables of the Old Guard, if you like Chrono Trigger or Final Fantasy VII, um, you're going to love this book. We're drawn from a lot of different inspirations and really coming out with something I think really cool. Um, I think this is, uh, if you like my book Scout's Honor, uh, you'll really love this. Um, I, I think it is definitely one of the best, it's definitely some of my best work and I think one of the most beautiful projects I've ever had the fortune of being uh, affiliated with. And uh, yeah, we also have print and catch up, uh, print and digital catch up tiers. Uh, if you missed our first Kickstarter, so we've got plenty of options to bring you up to speed. Absolutely. Um, I'm also going to throw it in chat just now. If you use exclamation mark OZ uh, in chat, it should bring up the link for the Kickstarter. There we go. Um, so if you guys want to go and check this book out for yourself and back it at any point, just click on that link or put an exclamation mark OZ to pull it back up anytime during the show and you can head over to the page yourself and check it out uh, there is a promo video on there we'll be having a little look at later 
um, before we delve deep into this. But I'm I'm excited. I'm hyped for this book. Like I I got to read it before the show and stuff. I got to finish it a couple of nights ago, and yeah, I I'm excited to see where the OZ goes in issue two. Yeah, yeah. The art is phenomenal as well, by the way. I know you had mentioned that earlier, but I, I love the art style in this. Thank you. Uh, yeah, I'm working with artist Ruben Rojas uh, and colorist Whitney Kogar. You might know her from the Eisner Award-winning Giant Days uh, and letter DC Hopkins uh, from And World Studios. And uh, yeah, it's just talk about a creatively stacked team. Um, they really, it, it's been a fun feedback loop for all of us where every time somebody turns in more pages, the rest of us get really excited and that mm-hmm. sort of inspires us to bring our A game. Um, yeah, I mean, you know, I can't say enough good things about Ruben Rojas. Um, he's like, uh, you know, if you think of Dan Mora and Sean Murphy, um, Ruben is right up there. Um, you know, he, he is a superstar in the making. And I'm so excited to be, you know, helping spread the word uh, about his talents. Um, you know, he's a he's a talented um, world builder and designer. Yeah. And he also really, you know, he's, he, he does action super well. Yeah. And, um, uh, the emotional beats, he doesn't shy away from them. Um, and if anything, we're going to be doing more of that in issue two. Um, you know, our first issue was the quiet issue. Mm-hmm. Uh, believe it or not. You know, it, it was sort of us having our vegetables. We had to establish Dorothy, mm-hmm. uh, our new Dorothy, and sort of uh, her time overseas and, and how she's come back affected by that, as well as establishing how did the magical land of Oz uh, get turned into the war-torn occupied zone. Now that all the exposition is done... Mm-hmm. Issue two, we really get to put pedal to the metal uh, awesome. and, and really floor it in a big way. Uh, we get to explore uh, some dangerous new territories in the occupied zone and, and the different kinds of threats and dangers that Dorothy and, her, and company will face there. But also we get to introduce brand new characters. Um, you know, we get to see um, uh, the Prince of Lions and Jack Pumpkinhead, um, who are going to be introduced as, as sort of the final uh, pieces of, of this greater puzzle. And we'll see more of uh, uh, the Scarecrow and Toto. Uh, in, in, in this issue as well. Um, so really, you know, the the whole cast is finally like coming together in a really cool way in the second issue. And um, like I was saying, if you like things like Chrono Trigger or Final Fantasy VII, sort of that jam band of different archetypes, you know, playing off of one another, you're really going to love what we're doing in issue two. Um, this is sort of where uh, Dorothy's Avengers finally come together. And nice. uh, the sparks are really going to fly in, in some fun ways. Awesome. We are honestly so hyped for this. We're honestly so excited for this next chapter in the OZ. Uh, before we delve a little bit more into that, I'm thinking we do a little bit of chat, a little bit of connecting, let more people kind of like shuffle in here. Then we're going to jump straight into the deep dive of issue one of the OZ, how awesome it is and why people should be backing issue two, essentially. Um, you know, like I'm not going to do the whole thing of like that. It's like, oh, what did we think of the book? No. Nitro and I love the book. We're both back yeah. in yeah. issue two already. We're both already backers of that. We we need to see what happens next. So yeah. we are fully all in for this. Cards on the table for everyone listening and watching. Like we are this isn't a like, oh, do we like it or not? No, we are we're already all in on this. <laughs> yeah. Pretty much. Just like, <laughs> um, well, well, thank you. Absolutely. Um, so I think we jump into some new stuff from this week because we had a few little um, announcements from this week just to kind of get the conversation more warmed up and before we start delving into some of the, the deeper questions. I really just want to say Spider-Man trailer just to get you off track. Oh, for goodness sake. You and this freaking Spider-Man trailer. <laughs> like, hey, you... Tom. Thanks for popping in chat, man. Hey, nice to see you. Uh, 
you, you did this. You did this with the freaking Eternals trailer <laughs> non-stop for weeks. All I heard from you was, when are we getting an Eternals trailer? When are we getting an Look, Eternals man. trailer? When are we getting an Eternals trailer? Look, and, and I have been quiet about Eternals, right? Because, because we got two trailers they, to finally shut you up. Exactly, exactly. They delivered what I had been asking for. Now you have a movie that's being delivered one month later, and we have nothing. We have zilch. I kind of so, hope we yeah. don't get a trailer. A bit just up to, arms. Just to annoy you, I hope we don't get a trailer. Just <laughs> I hope to they release it after the movie. <laughs> just with to... the movie. The trailer is actually with the movie. It's like that yeah, little it... preview. <laughs> <laughs> It'll come out at the it, it, like it, that's the post credits. It's just the trailer for the movie you just watched. <laughs> that's the trailer you would have seen, but we chose not yeah. to. And all honesty, like. It, People are like that, oh no, they won't do that. Technically, they could. Like, who's not going to go see it? Who's honestly going to be won over by the trailer that isn't already going to go see it at this point? True. We're, we're that deep into the Marvel stuff. Like, it's, it's going to And happen. the thing is, they know that. Like, they know that regardless of whether they release a trailer or not, people are going to go see it. Yeah. I get I Absolutely. Get it. But still, like, you want to maximize the hype, right? You want to maximize it. Yeah, how, well. how about we talk about the one that actually got a trailer released this All right, week let's go. to get you off topic of let's do it. the freaking Spider-Man trailer. We All actually right, got right. a trailer release for The Eternals this week, uh, the final trailer that was dubbed as by them themselves, so this is the last we're seeing it before it comes out. What did you think of the final trailer for The Eternals? I liked it. Honestly, I think I liked the first trailer better. I don't know why. Um, I'm a sucker for an epic, and I feel like the first trailer had more of an epic-type feel. Um, that being said, they did introduce some new stuff, right? Um, like, where were you during the snap? You know, kind of the big stuff. Yeah. And, you know, they 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 finally introduced us to uh, a Celestial outside of Ego, which was kind of cool. Um, so I'm definitely interested in the movie. It's probably my top movie for this year, other than, like, um, Doctor Strange's next year, um, Spider-Man. So... We'll see. We'll see what happens, man. I liked it though. It looked cool. I really like Richard Madden in this. Um, I, you know, especially, you know, they're sort of they're they they are. It, it looks like a Superman riff mm -hmm. uh, a bit, but I mean, definitely Marvel. You know, they're they're no slouches and they're very experienced at this. And and so it's it's interesting to see that kind of iconography being used, just with the with the with the flight and the super strength, and particularly mm -hmm. the the laser vision. Yeah, uh, that was like very cool, and I think, you know, I think, I, I think certain characters can pull off heat vision, and certain characters can't, and I think Richard Madden absolutely a hundred percent can pull mm -hmm. it off. Yeah. Um, so that really, that really ratcheted up my interest in a big way. Um, I, I, I was telling my partner that you know, this is very uncharted territory. I think for a lot of fans, like I don't really have any preconceived notions mm -hmm. about the. At least Guardians of the Galaxy, there was you know Annihilation, yeah. Um, so and everything stemming off that, like I at least had read some of those books. Eternals, beyond what Kieran Gillen has done, I know very little about them as characters, and I'm a professional comics writer. Mm -hmm. So um, I, I think you know it's it's uh, it's Marvel's movie to lose at this point. You know, I mean, there's no preconceived notions. So as long as they make it cool and engaging, mm -hmm. um, it'll be really exciting. You know. Um, I mean, I'm you know we'll see. I mean, I think mm -hmm. I think everybody's standards of movies have changed a little bit since the pandemic, and so yeah. now when you know there's a chance that you might be rolling the dice yeah. uh, if you go out to a theater, you know that that has a different set of expectations. I, I do like the whole narrative though that was played out in this trailer where they can't intervene uh, unless it's mm -hmm. unless there's a deviant that is causing issues. 
Um, so they're having to watch all this history unfold over thousands of years and not being able to do anything about it. I think that's going to be a cool. Um, that's going to be a cool piece of of this movie. Just yeah. watching how that unfolds and watching how it impacts them and and and, sh- and shapes them and stuff like that. Yeah. yeah, absolutely. And I think that's the thing. Like deep down, like everyone was like that. But but where where have they been? Where have they been? Why weren't they here when like the snap happened? Why didn't mm-hmm. they help fight Thanos? And I'm like. I'm glad we just addressed it in this trailer, and I'm glad it wasn't this massive thing. I'm glad it was like a we're just we're not allowed to interfere, unless it's a deviant is doing something we are not mm-hmm. allowed to interfere. And I'm like, good. I'm glad we're drawing attention to that, and I'm glad we're just kind of throwing it out in the trailer because I don't want that to be a massive thing. Mm-hmm. I, in all honesty, deep down, I don't care where they were during the snap. I don't. Yeah. I don't need to know the details of that. It's like, in terms of world building, absolutely, we do need to know. Because, mm-hmm. like, where are these big, powerful beings been? But, no, it's, like, something like that. It's, like, yeah, I'll buy that. I'm good. You're not allowed to yeah. interfere unless it's a deviant. Let's move on. And, you know, it's like, I absolutely adored this trailer. I thought it was a really good... They tried to spotlight the characters little by little. Mm-hmm. Like, and give us glimpses of each of the characters, each of their personalities. And I felt like they did a really good job of that. Like, I felt like I was starting to see elements of who the Eternals were. Kind of like you, David. Like, I'm... I've I've never read any of the Eternal stuff. It's just it's mm-hmm. never been stuff I've gotten to. You know, this is the equivalent of like you know Jack Kirby's you know new gods and this level of characters and I'm like, but I know nothing about them essentially. So like I'm yeah. going in like you could tell me anything you want about these characters. I don't really know them, and from what I'm seeing, I'm like okay, I'm I'm invested. I'm I'm interested to see more about these characters and where you go with this. You know, and yeah. I mean, when 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 the Inhumans seem like positively a list and ma- mainstream compared to the Eternals, like that's kind of, you know, it it really is an opportunity to build up a whole new franchise from the ground up, um, even more than the way that they did with the Guardians. Mm-hmm. So um, yeah, I'm very curious to see uh, how it turns out, and they sh- certainly have the star-studded cast for it. Um, but uh, yeah, it's uh, it's very exciting. Speaking yeah. of the the Superman like um, kind of visuals in the trailer, there was there was some shots in that trailer with Richard Madden that were eerily similar to how they portrayed Superman. Oh, they were one hundred percent Henry Cavill. Man of Steel. Refs, absolutely right, yeah. right. Like when he's getting angry and he's screaming and he's shooting the laser out of his eye, or when he, you know, he's flying and they're showing behind like the third person view of him and he slices the wing off the Deviant, whatever. Those are like those are like straight out of Man of Steel. And I think they know that. <laughs> oh, absolutely, because it's like, hey, DC won't give you a Superman movie. We will. Yeah. We'll give you a Superman. <laughs> and I'm like, I, I don't blame them at all for doing that. I really don't. And it's like, play with that character because DC's not doing anything with it. And, I mean, like Marvel's already got characters that are Superman-esque. Like, yeah, why not? Yeah. Tom Levine in chat uh, says, is there too much cleverness and things like that about see how we made this tie into another event we're so smart you know what i mean he said he didn't see solo but it sounds like there was a lot of that in this film i think it can get to be too much like i think like you said cross like we don't need to know everything Mm -hmm. but the the world building stuff is kind of just icing on the cake but when it's like forced or ham-fisted into a movie i think that's when it gets to be too much absolutely i i think marvel's been very good at holding back on that stuff like they don't 
they don't feed too much stuff and try to like oh look this is connected here and here and here and oh this connects with that yeah like, yeah it's very not, not everything needs to connect especially when it's a new character because the eternals are like brand new characters so in this sort of situation like it's very simply done like here's a connection and they just leave it at that and it's like will there be more connections yeah we'll get to them mm-hmm. we got time it helps that unlike the comics um, Marvel Studios, you know, inevitably they have a churn. You know, I mean, there there are only so many movies that actors will do, mm-hmm. and so as a result, it's incumbent upon them that they have to keep sort of feeding in new characters, yeah. and so they know that like you know we'll we'll overlap where we can, but you know we have to sort of you know we can't just do crossover movies like we have to like really keep building these characters up. And uh, and then we can sort of have the fan service moments of watching, you know, uh, you know, Icarus and and, uh, and and Sam Wilson interact with one another yeah. or something, you know, yeah, or, yeah. Or, or, or Captain Marvel. Um, and so, yeah, I mean, I think it's an it's a different it's a different challenge that I think serialized comics obviously don't have. You know, I mean, we can kill off characters left, right, and center, but like we know how. I think readers instinctively have known since the death of Superman, there's an inertia here. Like, yeah. it, we will go back to status quo. Yeah, um, we'll and, and the universe. <laughs> now, we'll, we'll, or, or just, you know, we'll resurrect somebody, yeah. and then yeah. we'll have two of these characters, you know? We'll have, you know, and I think that's uh, that's not something that the movies, the movies may deal with legacy characters, but, like, mm-hmm. I don't think you're going to bring back Tony Stark after... Mm-hmm. You know, like that's as yeah. definitive an ending for that character as you're gonna get. Yeah. Agreed. So, um, but it keeps everything vibrant and interesting, and uh, so I'm excited to see kind of this new iteration of, of the MCU. And I, I was reading some article that they were saying that you know it's gonna be a bit before we do you know we see another Avengers movie, um, mm-hmm. but that's okay. I mean, it yeah, took four it years the first time. You know. And, yeah, we, uh, and, after Endgame, we don't need another Avengers movie right now. It's no. like this has been a lot. We need to of... the, 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 the new generation mm. a little bit. I think it would be cool. Uh, so I know, obviously, we're not bringing back Tony Stark, but I think a really cool nod would be in Riri Williams' suit, the AI, is yeah. Robert Downey Jr., the voice. Cool. That would be cool. That would be like a cool little like tip of the cap, you know. To what came before, but you know, it is what it is. Hey, that'd be a cool thing. I mean, Robert Downey Jr. Yeah. He could phone those lines in. Like, he's... yeah, it's not like he has to be. On the I mean, let, let's be honest. This end game, what has he actually done? That's of worth. Like, really? Yeah. Let's be honest. I know. I know that Doctor Doolittle was a masterpiece, but you know, <laughs> let's be honest. Like, you never know. But yeah, I think that's the interesting thing. I think the MCU movies have got the opportunity to actually take advantage of something that's prevalent in indie comics that you don't get in the big two anymore kind of like what you were saying dave like to go back to it like yeah it's like in the big two it's like there's this status quo that exists and there's this thing of like well if we change stuff it's going to go back anyway which is why i never understand fans getting outraged at marvel and dc for stuff because oh it's always always going to go back like i mean i remember Mm -hmm. the outrage we've talked about it before in the show the outrage at hydra cap Mm-hmm. And when he was turned into a big villain, and they, you know, end up leading Hydra and all this stuff, and people were outraged that they turned Captain America into a Nazi, and I'm like, you realize he's going to come back, right? Yeah. Yeah. Like, there's no, there's no way. Yeah. I mean, I mean, you know, I feel like the longest status quo change we 
that I can remember in recent memory. I mean, to one extent, I guess, you know, Bucky taking over his cap, you know, mm-hmm. in the Brubaker run, that was a couple of years. And then I guess you have to dig really far back. It's like Wally West taking over for Barry Allen in the 80s. Mm, yeah, that probably is, actually. Like, That's if you're talking the- main universe, the only other one I can think of in recent was, like, Miles Morales becoming Spider-Man, but that was Ultimate Universe, so... Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's like it wasn't a you, change to the status quo in the same way, but yeah, that's probably the last time there was a big status change like that. Yeah, so much so I mean, that I, people that are our age like grew up with Wally West as the Flash and not Barry Allen, you know. And yeah, I mean, and I guess you could you could extrapolate the same thing for like Kyle Rayner and Connor Hawk, but even then, it's like no. What winds up happening is, I mean, depending on sort of the whims of the market and the whims of of uh, you know the the publishers involved is either the originals come back and it becomes like an additive thing. So like Peter Parker and Miles Morales and uh, Spider-Gwen all sort of operating in the same turf and it's really no big deal. Or, um, or, you know, it's something like, you know, the Green Lanterns where like, you know, Hal Jordan's back and like, I don't know what Kyle's doing right now. You know, I'm sure he's out there somewhere and, and, and all, all it's waiting for is, you know, for some creator who's a big Kyle fan to be like, Hey, I'm going to, advocate for this yeah and uh you know and and reintroduce them back into the into, into the fold so um it's all additive you know and and yeah i think publishers often sweat how are we going to juggle all this continuity with all these characters and um but at the same time i think you know it's just it's it's a sleight of hand you know i mean you'll never be able to have every single character in a book of their own doing their own thing like i get it but you know just you know as long as they exist somewhere, even if they're not operating currently, you can bring them back, and and that's it's really fun as both a, a creator and a fan. Yeah, absolutely, and you know, but I think that's one of the things that does make the MCU that bit more unique. That you know, because there is that finality to it. Like there's that finality to Tony's death. There's that finality to mm-hmm. Cap going and growing old. There's that finality yeah. to some of these characters that. Yeah they're being forced to like tap into these other IPs like I mean it was a big deal people forget now it's like seven years on how big a deal it was that the Guardians of the Galaxy movie came out mm-hmm. you know it's yeah. like they they were unknown characters they were not pop culture at all you could get away with Iron Man and Captain America but who the heck are the Guardians of the Galaxy ah. yeah I mean I was talking with my wife the other, the other night um, regarding the start of the MCU and how like you know, Iron Iron Man and Captain America right now are household names, but like when the MCU started, they were kind of like <laughs> B-list, C-list characters. Like, not a, I mean, you obviously have you have the corner of fandom that love those characters, but the vast majority of people they were like, meh, you know, for those characters. So they had to do what they had to do when they started the MCU, and, and they made those characters like beloved by basically everyone. Yeah, not to mention as well that we need to remember the MCU will change characters on a whim. Like, Tony Stark was not like that in the comics prior to Robert Downey Jr. Yeah. And then they went, oh, everybody loves him. Quick, change him. Like, Star-Lord Peter Quill was not like Chris Pratt's character in the movies, like in the comics. They were more like a a literal, like, police force. And he was a bit more, you know, straight-laced compared to what he was. And it's like, in in the comics, they 100% changed that. So... Heck, I don't know what the personalities of the Eternals are, but I promise you after this movie, this will be their personalities. <laughs> yeah. 
A hundred percent. And, you know, I mean, yeah, you know, I always think about, especially when we talk about Iron Man and and what a a force in pop culture Iron Man is after Robert Downey Jr. I mean, I remember the Marvel versus DC crossover where Iron Man wasn't even big enough to get his own bout. Yeah, neither was. Jubilee got a fight and Iron Man didn't. No? Um, Like, like, you know, I, I mean... Gambit got more of uh, uh, of an appearance in that series than Iron Man did, and so it just goes to show that like sometimes you need to sort of shake things up in yeah. a big way to see yeah. to, to 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 gain new resonance. I think that's the reason why I like Hickman's X Men so much mm-hmm. is because I know it's very different than anything we've ever come you know seen before. It's very different. Um, from the, the Stan Lee days and the Chris Claremont era, and it owes a lot to uh, Grant Morrison's uh, uh, new X Men. But yeah. it is just a big, bold, crazy status quo changing swing, and uh, and and it was so successful that that you know that's one of the rare cases where it is it is status quo for now. Mm-hmm. Even then, like if I mean, if you don't think that they're going to be back in the mansion within the next like within the decade. Um, oh, and that absolutely. is conservative. That's a conservative estimate. I mean, honestly, I'd say even sooner than that now, because now that Hickman stepped away from the X Men, like yeah, yeah they're, I mean, they're going to be back in that mansion within five a years. years. I'm sure. <laughs> yeah, I'm sure within the next five years there will at least be a team set in the mansion, if yeah. not, if not just the return to status quo. And that's just that's comics. You know, they're cyclical, um, and and you know, history carries a lot of weight, um, and so that's why it's like. You see characters that, like, when they came out, you know, everybody thought they were a flash in the pan. Like, you know, I'm sure back in the day nobody cared about Nova or, like, Cloak and Dagger. And, like, now, you know, just by, uh, like, little bits of historical inertia, it's like, oh, yeah, we love these characters. You know, we want to do cool stuff with them. Yeah. So, uh, it's it's comics. Yeah, that's it. No no need to get mad about a status quo change because I promise you it will not last. No in Marvel and DC anyway. Just like <laughs> whatever you love in Marvel and DC will be back at some point. Yeah. Is it because yeah. they all love? I mean, like this the thing just keeps on turning. Like, what was it like? Speaking of Spider Man, you know, it's like an old Nitro's Master Spider Man fan. Like, what is it we were just talking about? Ben Riley coming back again. Yeah. Like he just came yeah. back like a few years ago. Like, but he's been away, yeah, and now awesome. he's coming back again. And it's like. But yet, these are the char- This is one of the characters that's occasionally hated because he's part of the clone saga, which is like continually duped on. It's like, but here's the character back that. again because somebody's like, "No, I love Ben Riley. I want him to be back." You know, I I I have a soft spot for the clone saga because I grew up in it, mm-hmm. and so you know, for my Spider-Man comics, and so yeah, I was just same. like, "Oh yeah, like, Peter having an existential crisis with Ben," and like. It was a nice way to externalize the power and responsibility, um, uh, you know, uh, theme uh, of Spider-Man is, you know, is is having somebody like outright tell you like this is your this is the responsibility, do it. Yeah. Um, I'm very excited for that for that for that Spider-Man, and also like no joke, Pat Gleason drawing it, like, yeah, it's gonna be it's gonna be sick. Um, but yeah, I get it, like you know. It's, it's, you know, the the more you, you, you do that churn, like, yeah, of course, like, the less impact it's going to have. And, and, and you want to time it right, and you want to do it in a way that, like, you know, readers... This is something I deal with in Create Around, and I can only imagine that they're, they're dealing with it on, on a bigger license scale as well, is you don't want to 
don't want to overstay your welcome. You know, you, you do want to end on a high note. Um, and so it, you, you want to figure out like where you've sort of told your best stories and that you feel like you've done a comprehensive statement then get out, you know? Yeah. Uh, and uh, that's that, that I think is a moving target. And I think, you know, especially you gotta be thinking of this stuff months and months in advance, I'm sure. And uh, at least with solicits, I know you have to be sending those in months in advance. Yeah. So yeah, that's just kind of what you have to do. Um, and, and so uh, I, you know, I'm sure if, if, if the people at the big two were like fortune tellers and could, tell you exactly oh this this is this guy's got 10 issues in him this guy's got 15 issues in him you know or whatever um they'd be doing things a lot more lucrative than making comics you know um but yeah it's it i think that is one of the unforeseen challenges especially of that side of the business that i thought i think none of us give uh, really enough credit to no absolutely absolutely it's yeah i mean i don't envy that side of the business and doing that job and you know, it's like having to work out all of this stuff, and I don't even, you know, I'm not even jealous of the people that have to, at Marvel and DC especially, that have to balance that stuff. The people that have to take in what the fans are saying and their plans yeah. for, like, well, we want this character to be like this, but we also want new stuff. But don't touch the stuff that we like. Yeah. And, like, there's yeah, no way to make everyone happy that you're not yeah. going to, like, annoy someone and get under someone's skin or change something that someone loves. It's like, I don't envy that job at all mm-hmm. for them. It's like I, good on them, the work that they put into that and trying to keep comics alive, essentially. But yeah, it's like, but that circular thing of like Marvel and DC, I think it just became a staple for them now. Mm-hmm. And I think it's part of like why I've kind of like veered off into like doing a lot more indie stuff. And even on here, like I was doing the indie comic book club and exploring what else is out there. Mm-hmm. Because like I, I enjoy stuff that I know like will. Because I think at Marvel and DC, for me especially, at least recently, and I became a little bit cynical on it. You know, I know, it's not like me to be cynical on things. But, you know, it's very much like, a, at the end of the day, does it matter? Like, you're just reading a good story. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But it's yeah, hard exactly. to invest as much, Like whereas I feel like there's comics out there I'm reading in the indie market, whereas like, I can get so invested in them now because... Yeah you it's don't know big. what's coming next if something big happens you're like it does change everything and you know it's like it doesn't matter how long the comic goes like there's a beginning a middle and end like coming up next month for our comic book club we're looking at invincible you know yeah. and it's like speaking of superhero stuff and it's like his runs like what 32 volumes or something like that <laughs> at the end of the day but there's an end story to it yeah, his life progresses and he grows up and he gets married and he has kids and he, you know, life progresses forward. Things change. The status quo isn't the same. And mm-hmm. I think for me personally, like I'm starting to get really drawn to that side of things in comics. So yeah. the stuff that you read actually impacts the characters. You know, it's like, but that's just me. At the same time, I'm still going to sit down and read a good Marvel and DC comic. It's like if yeah some of my favorite writers are jumping on stuff or a story sounds interesting, I'm still going to go check it out. It's... Absolutely. Because there's a familiarity with the with the characters, right? Oh, yeah, absolutely. Like, yeah. I, I mean, like, just a simple one for me, like, from the moment it was announced, like, Tom Taylor taking over Nightwing. Like, the moment that was announced, I almost died inside. I'm like, that's, like, my favorite writer in all of comics right now, writing one of my favorite characters. And I'm like... Mm-hmm. He's doing a terrific job. Like, I am so happy. <laughs> I just, 
It's like I I love Tom Taylor, but it's probably one of my favorite comic writers, and I, I ain't read nothing from the man that I have not enjoyed and loved. So it's like for him to write one of my favorite characters, like absolutely, I'm jumping on that. Absolutely, I want to know where that story's going, and yeah. I, I don't care if he has to put the toys back in the toy chest at the end of it. Like I just want to see what he does with them, you know. So yeah, that was the Eternals trailer, everybody. <laughs> um, <laughs> Just a bit of detour. <laughs> there we go. You know it's going to be a good day when we get in a good comic rant like that, and it's not even about the topic we're talking about today. <laughs> oh, so I, I got a question. So totally kind of all topic, but not really. So since they're introducing Icarus as this Superman-esque type character, do you think at some point they're going to introduce Hyperion? I'm sure eventually. I'm sure yeah. eventually they'll... they'll, they'll I, I'm sure eventually, like, it may be years and years and years and years from now, but, like, mm -hmm. of course, yeah, the Squadron Supreme, like, you know, they're a good supervillain team, you know? And uh, and also, like, you know, I, I, historically, Marvel has always loved to tweak DC, you mm -hmm. know? And so that would be, like, the ultimate troll yeah. is, like, you know, an Avengers movie where, like, you know, the Justice League are your bad guys. Yeah. Like, yeah, I'm sure that someday it will happen but i think that will be like towards the tail end of the cycle yeah i think there's, there's too much other stuff going on now for them to focus on to like yeah. that that'll be on down the line but i mean right now they're focusing on like bringing these new characters like the eternals we've still got the fantastic four about to make their launch into the world including galactus and dr yeah. doom as big villains we've still got the x-men to even make their appearance like and deadpool they said they're they said they're yeah. working on a deadpool Deadpool three is apparently in the works, which I'm so happy for. I'm, I, I'm really excited. I'm also like just so curious about what that's going to be like. Like, because I know they're saying it's going to be R rated. I'm like, are you really going to let them go R rated with it? <laughs> really? I like. Cause there's, there's part of me that doesn't believe them on that because it's Disney with the MCU. It's like, are they really going to do that? But either way, I'm in. Like, I love the Deadpool movies, and if it's still going along at least the same thread. Mm -hmm. Like imagine that hadn't been able the one character you can go and watch a movie on that's actually able to talk about the you know the Disney Fox merger and everything coming over and now being part of the MCU and like yeah one hundred percent that commentary alone will be worth watching. But yeah, I'm I'm all in for what they're doing going forward, and I'm definitely going to be all in to check out the Eternals when it comes out. Yeah, it's, it's, this trailer got my attention definitely agreed 100 percent. like i said it definitely feels like an epic like both in scale and in story and uh, i'm i'm all aboard for it absolutely all right so we did have some other news topics but we kind of got off on a rant there so <laughs> uh, luckily it's nothing too major that was our big news topic for today for the most part most of just casting stuff you can see it on our social medias and stuff uh, absolutely, Tom. You can ask a Kickstarter question. While you're putting that in, before we jump into talking about the OZ, I'm actually going to kick over to the video from their Kickstarter page to let everyone get a little glimpse of the OZ for anyone who might not be as familiar with it yet. So, give me one second. I'm going to switch over to that. And we'll be right back. Alright. So that's a little look for everyone into the OZ issue too and I completely agree Tom like 100% the music over that video does an amazing job of just just really f getting you into the atmosphere and the feeling of the OZ and what it's actually like it does a really good job of that it's one of my favourite things about that little show oh 
shouldn't be muted. That's weird. Can you hear me there now? There you go. Yeah, you're good. Okay, that's so weird because like I muted myself on here, like on Discord <laughs> as well, just to kind of work to make sure it was okay. And for some reason, like it switched, so it now says I'm muted on here, but I'm not. I was like, is he talking to himself? Is he talking to? <laughs> And I like so yeah. Sorry about that, everyone. Um, but yeah, Tom, I absolutely agree with that. It's like I love the music as well for, um, over that trailer, it just really takes you into the world of the OZ. It just takes you into that feeling and that atmosphere of the place, and mm -hmm. just where that feeling of getting into that gritty world. And I mean, that video alone, honestly, is enough for me to like. Well, like, yep, I want it back because yeah. this looks awesome. It yeah. looks phenomenal. Um, but. Uh, we're probably going to hit a couple of points we, I think we kind of touched on the last time that you were on because we kind of dove a little bit into the OZ but we didn't touch on it drastically. Mm -hmm. um, so there's probably some questions that are going to come up but uh, let's start with the simple thing of like why doing a sequel to The Wizard of Oz and why go through Kickstarter? Like you've got mm -hmm. connections with these comic companies have used why take something like this to Kickstarter and why even do a sequel to The Wizard of Oz? What was the driving force well, behind that? So, so to answer the first part of the question, you know, the, the thing that drew me to this concept, um, I've been working on the OZ for a while. Um, this was one of the uh, first uh, ideas that I came up with after my first book, Spencer and Locke, came out. And for those who've heard me talk about Spencer and Locke, you know, the high concept for that was what if Calvin and Hobbes grew up in Sin City? And I'll be honest, I, I wasn't, I had no idea if people were going to like that book, you know, and I, I was half convinced I was going to get run out of town for that book. Um, and thankfully, you know, the last issue comes out and the dust settles and people seem to like it, which was, that kind of gave me the permission to continue this path of being a comics writer. And so um, I, uh, the, the three ideas I came up with was uh, Spencer and Locke 2. Uh, going to the chapel, sort of my uh, action crime rom-com uh, that's like Die Hard meets Wedding Crashers, and um, the OZ. And what happened was I thought, well, you know, I have all these ideas that are crime-related, and I love writing crime fiction, you know, but I wanted to do try some other genres. Mm -hmm. And here's the secret. Sci-fi is really hard. Uh, I, I, you got to be really smart for that, and, and the themes and the concepts have to kind of um, at least mirror the real world to some extent, yeah. you know? Um Whereas fantasy, the rules of the world can kind of warp around your themes and around specific characters and their voices. The, the, mm -hmm. the rules don't have to be necessarily a one-for-one -one representation of the real world. And so I started writing down just inspirations, you know, because that always seems to help me out. And so I wrote down things like Piers Anthony and Lloyd Alexander and Lord of the Rings and Harry Potter, and I wrote Wizard of Oz. And that's when Google Docs froze. <laughs> um, and so I'm, I'm waiting for my, my, my cursor to, 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 to move and it's on the word Oz and I, I thought it's like you know it's a nice short word you know and yeah. I'm like what if that was an acronym for something and I thought um, occupied zone yeah and uh, immediately it was like a, a lightning bolt hit me like I was like oh like uh, you know it's not just a fantasy story it's a war story yeah when I, I thought of honestly uh ruben rojas's main cover for issue one was pretty much a pitch perfect representation of the image i had in my head of like dorothy is an iraq war veteran you know kind of giving you the thousand yard stare it's phenomenal it, that cover is phenomenal yeah um that's the the cover that got ruben hired um yeah. you know done those first six pages and then he drew that cover and that was the first time that he had drawn the tin man um and i was just like you're hired keep drawing like i promise you come hell or high water I will get this book out. Yeah, and that might 
tie into your second question a bit of why Kickstarter. And, and, and the, the thing is, first off, I'm flattered that, that, that you're like, oh, you have all these connections to all these publishers because I don't have that many connections, <laughs> believe me. Um, and, and, and the OZ, we've been working, we, we'd pitched this to a number of places and like, oftentimes we'd get like right to the one yard line and then something would happen. Mm-hmm. Um, I had actually initially developed the story at, um, you know, uh, for an editor at a publisher. Um, and uh, it was just bad timing that like, somebody else happened to pitch a fantasy war story mm-hmm. they had much more they, they were much more established i only had spencer and lock under my belt and, but that editor told me after we got turned down and this is i think this was the encouragement that made all the difference was he said um i want you to know this rejection is not about this is not this is not a reflection on the strength of your pitch yeah very oh, that's strong. awesome that's awesome. Um, and, and, and so they were like, you know, I really recommend that you keep working on this because this really does have legs. Yeah. And that was the encouragement I needed. That's, that's when I found Ruben Rojas. That's when I found Whitney Kogar. That's when I found DC Hopkins. Um, because I was like, all right, it's, it's going to be like Spencer and Locke. Like, I'm going to get this thing made out of spite if I have to. And um, the thing is, you know, we, we talked to a number of, of publishers and, and many of them expressed interest. But here's the, 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 the secret about comics is it, it really is about timing. And it's not just timing about like who else has other projects out, but it's just like what happens when a publisher has other fires they have to put out. You yeah. know, it makes it very hard for something even that is straightforward as I have a pitch you like it, send me a contract, you know? And um, meanwhile, you know, last year the pandemic hit and Diamond had their shutdown. And I think everybody in the comics industry had a little bit of an existential crisis. Yeah. Um, all the publishers, their acquisitions channels narrowed significantly. And, uh, you know, it was just one of those things that were kind of like, okay, like, uh, you know, what are you going to do? Mm-hmm. So a lesson that I took was um, I'm friends with a lot of Kickstarter creators, people like Charlie Stickney, the creator of White Ash, uh, Ryland Grant, who did the Peacekeepers and the Jump. Um, you know, I know him from my Action Lab days. Uh, Pat Shand, Russell Nahelty, um, you know, just to, to, to name a few names. And um, it was um, Charlie who said, you know, look, there's some, they're the Wednesday Warriors. They're going to buy their books at their shop every Wednesday. That's where they primarily buy their books. And there's some people, though, that you'll never get them to step in a comic shop. You know, there's, there, there, there's the people who buy their books directly on Amazon or Barnes & Noble or Comixology. There's the people who buy them exclusively at cons, you know, which, you know, I don't know when those are going to come back in full force. Yeah. And there are people who primarily buy their books on crowdfunding platforms. There was an entire demographic of readership that I had done no outreach to mm. by just pushing the direct market. There's a real diaspora of readership out there. Mm-hmm. And I think I always try to look at this industry in my career through the lens of sustainability. You know, how, how are we going to get this thing to last 30 years, uh, you know, uh, 30 plus years? And um, I think it's, I, I, we have to reunite that diaspora. We have to mm-hmm. sort of invite them to the same table. Yeah. And um, so, you know, Diamond had its shutdown and I realized I could solve one problem with another. Mm-hmm. I, I had two issues of the OZ done. Um, and the series was almost fully written at that point. Now it's, now it's been long written's been I think almost a year now mm-hmm. um, and uh, you know we could give the OZ a home and introduce ourselves to the Kickstarter community with its our absolute a game mm-hmm. and uh, I think the success of, of both campaigns has, has really uh, been the proof of that um, you know it's it, the Kickstarter community is so just passionate and vocal and dedicated and um, they really not only feel invested in our book but I think they feel invested in independent creators yeah um, and so I, I think 
we as comic fans are so trained to see things in a binary lens. You know, Marvel versus DC, mm-hmm. uh, creator owned versus licensed. Uh, you know, the direct market versus crowdfunding. I think especially the news with Substack is really kind of putting, you know, putting a pin in that, um, where it's not an or question. These mm-hmm. are all and questions. Yeah. And I think, um, you know, it's incumbent upon creators if they want to make a living and if they want to stay in this industry and if they want to build their readership, they're going to have to, you know, it's, it's basically just being on a different pendulum and mm-hmm. seeing which directions you, you're going to swing in, but it's ultimately you're going to go between both. Yeah. And um, so I plan on using Kickstarter for, for projects for the foreseeable future. I mean, you know, I think it's not only a wonderful way to build up your readership outside of the standard pockets. Mm-hmm. Um, it's a great way to sort of make comics more financially equitable in general. But yeah. it's also, you know, it's just um, it's a different way to market. And I love the direct market. And I think <laughs> publishers are starting to realize and retailers are starting to realize the overlap is minimal. You know, um, if I'm selling, if I'm selling, you know, we, we, we hit um, 1,300 backers uh, in total for our last Kickstarter. In the direct market, that's like, those are joke numbers, you know, like, like you know, uh, any publisher worth their salt should be able to hit that. Mm-hmm. And so that's why it's like the, 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 the overlap is kind of minimal. Yeah. Um, and I think, you know, you see Scott Snyder with his deal with Comixology and Dark Horse. You see the Substack deals where, you know, all these creators are going to be, jumping either to Image or to Dark Horse or to Boom or, you know, whatever other publishers they've got connections to. And um, I think it's, it is going to be a sea change. People will realize, like, we can crowdfund this digitally and still have room for the direct market and still have room for the direct market retailers. It's not cannibalizing the way they think it is. It's, it's additive. Um, as long as you play it even like a modicum of, of, of being smart, giving just a modicum of difference between the direct market and the Kickstarter community, everybody's happy. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I think that's that's something that uh, I certainly uh, want to be incorporating in, in future projects, and I, I, I hope the the rest of the industry follows suit. I really like Kickstarter just because of the of the distance it closes between the creator and the consumer. Yeah, it's like so there's, a, there's a very intimate, like, it's a very intimate thing, and I, I really appreciate that about it. Yeah, it's, absolutely. It's, it's very much, especially, you know, I haven't been to a convention in a year and a half, and it's very, it, it, it has a lot of similarities to the convention mm-hmm. experience for me. You know, that interactivity with your readership, um, whether it's on Twitter or whether it's sending a thank you note and, and, and you know, Kickstarter itself. Yeah. Um, it's, it's, uh, mm-hmm. it's really nice to sort of feel that excitement, that buzz. It's, it's, it is contagious, that enthusiasm. And, um, yeah, I, I think it's also, you know, it clears certain accessibility hurdles. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, like, yes, there is a higher price point because these are artisanal mm-hmm. comics that are straight from the creators. So we're not, you know, we don't have giant shipping operations at, at scale that can, you know, make the costs go down. But um, I think at the same time, we're able to afford uh, a lot of, you know, a lot more uh, bang for your buck. You know, we're able to keep adding things onto different tiers. We're able to include add-ons, which is... Uh, you know, a different kind of buying experience than the comics market right now. Yeah. And I think, you know, look, I've had to explain to my parents how to pre-order a book, you know, mm-hmm. like yeah. there's so many hoops you got to jump through and it's through no 
specific person's fault. It's just this is the system we've inherited. Yeah. But you know, you have to know your pre-order code. You have to mm-hmm. call your comic shop three months in advance. You have to uh, make you know. You hope that the comic shop orders it, and then you hope it comes in not damaged, and then you yeah. hope it does come in. The comic shop hasn't sold it to somebody else, mm-hmm. and um, you know, there's a lot of hoops to jump through. Kickstarter, you know, you just send a link. Give me your credit card. You'd say this is what I want, and boom, you're done. You yeah, know, you get the book when it's ready. And um, so I will say it's much easier to promote a Kickstarter book in that regard. Um, and I will say now, in the wake of all the Substack news, I feel like we're a really kind of happy hybrid at this point, where you have that accessibility of a Substack. You know, it's digital. You know, you, anybody with an internet connection can participate, but you still have the physical artifact of something like in the direct market. Um, you know, there are some readers who love digital and that and that they're they're wonderful. I read a lot of my stuff digitally now. But um there are also the the, the readers that they want that physical artifact. They want to mm-hmm. feel the weight of the book in their yes. hands. Yeah. Um they want to collect the variant covers, you know, they they, they uh and um you know they want the the, 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 the UV spot gloss on, on our enhanced uh you know issue two cover. Yeah. Um, you know, and they're wonderful too. And so Kickstarter is able to kind of uh, uh, yeah. appeal to both of these kinds of demographics in a way yeah. that n- neither Substack or the direct market can can do on their own. Mm-hmm. So, um, yeah, you know, it's it's uh, it's been a wonderful process, and I mean, it's it's and and I think it's also it's very additive for independent creators. I think, um, look, you know, there are a lot of micro publishers out there that are very predatory, you know, and 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 can can really either hurt your IP or they can, you know, just make it impossible to profit off of it. Mm-hmm. Um, I think Kickstarter is a great equalizer. You can build your readership organically. And on top of that, I mean, I can tell you that like I have gotten work based on the strength of my Kickstarters. Mm-hmm. Uh, like, like people have said, Oh, Hey, I see that this is getting buzz. People seem to be really into this. And um, that has opened up doors that I never thought would be possible. Yeah. Uh, that's so, awesome. I think um, it's 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 just as legitimate a platform uh, as as any publisher, and uh, like I said, I think soon sooner rather than later, it will be seen as an and proposition rather than an or. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I think that's a really awesome way to look at it, is because <clears throat> there's very much kind of like you said, there's this dichotomy of like you know the, the way that comics have always done stuff and like and then trying out these new things like are we going digital are we doing this like one of the first episodes of our podcast was literally talking about that was like are we going to stay physical or go digital is that going to be mm-hmm. the future of comics and the honest truth is like there are so many options out there yeah and i think it's so smart to take advantage of that and because like you said there's certain people that the only comics that they touch is in one of these markets so just by jumping into another one you open up a whole new fan base mm-hmm. yeah yes, you know exactly it's like that. i think you're missing out and screwing yourself over by not tapping into that and tapping into all that's available and mm-hmm. you know and yeah. i'm glad to see the kickstarter has been a good opportunity for that to delve into this comic and and it's obviously like you said creating buzz people are backing it and yeah. And it's awesome because like you can still do the stuff that you would want to do. Like if it was coming through the direct market, like if you still want to get the single yeah. issue, you can. If you want to get digitals only, you can. If you want to get variant covers, they're available. Like, is it going to cost a little bit more? Yeah, because like you're basically helping pay for the process of it being created. But yeah. but at the and, same and, and time, the- just even like the tier prices that you've got listed for the OZ is like it's not like 
you know like breaking the bank sort of thing yeah. like if you if yeah if you've got the money to like fund a couple of hundred into this like yeah there's options for that and there's things that can benefit with that yeah. but if all of you got is like 20 odd bucks to throw in on one of these tiers like there's options for that yeah you know it's like yeah. you can still yeah. participate and be part of it yeah, we're we're and, and you know there's there are ways to differentiate Kickstarter from the direct market. You know, I mean that's the reason why we did double sized issues for this Kickstarter. You know, part of it was to save me from a nervous breakdown of trying to uh, uh, fulfill six Kickstarters rather than three. Yeah, but also you know I mean that is a way where you know if we ever went to the direct market and right now we do not have plans to do so. Like I want to make that clear. Like my number one priority is fulfilling. This, this book to our Kickstarter backers, mm -hmm. you know, um, and and then you know if somebody wants to, to to give the book a second life in the direct market, that's a later conversation. But um, you know the Kickstarter backers are the ones that put their money where their mouth is, so like they're they're the priority. Um, but you know you see it all the time uh, with uh, you, know, you see a lot of scout books where they will um, you know they'll 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 do a double sized issue and then they'll they'll break it in half for the direct market or. Um, or they'll do, you know, extra content, you know, different content, you know, for, for, for the Kickstarter uh, community or different covers and the like. And, um, and that's why I'm like, the, the ecosystem's there. Um, yeah. And I think, I think, you know, just like, you know, just like there are Kickstarter backers who will never go to the direct, you know, go to a comic shop. There are so many comic shop people who like, you know, why would they do Kickstarter where they've got their comic shop right yeah. here? It's, yeah. That's why it, it really is a win-win. And I, I, I'm, I'm encouraged to see that more and more publishers are realizing like it's not a zero sum game. Absolutely. Uh, speaking of Kickstarter, so Tom Levine had a really cool question, which I'm actually interested in hearing your answer as well in chat. He said, in the case of writers using Kickstarter, is it enough for a comic writer to personally love an artist's work? Or are there standards of artwork that the writer needs to understand before hiring from their book? I.e., just because I like it doesn't mean lots of other people will. That's a really good question. <laughs> That's a good question. I mean, you know, I, I think it's it's. Does this feel like the right fit for this story? You know, mm -hmm. uh, for sure. Because I mean, I, I, you know, it, and it depends on the, your artist. Because certain artists are a little bit more flexible than others. Like Ruben Rojas, for, my artist for the OZ. When I found his portfolio online, I actually pitched him on three different projects. Um, mm -hmm. I pitched okay. him on the OZ. I pitched him on my upcoming sci-fi book, Grand Theft Astro. And then I actually, I pitched him on another project that, that is getting an unexpected sort of second life um, uh, that hopefully I'll be able to announce later this year nice. or early next year. Mm -hmm. um, and, uh, you know, Ruben, I didn't know this at the time, but his favorite genres were post-apocalyptic and low fantasy. So that's why he jumped on the OZ. This just hit, you know, hit every button he had. Yeah. Um, I, 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 I think you want to be impressed, you know, by, by the yeah. artwork. Um, you you want to be like, you definitely want this feeling of like, oh, wow, like I can't believe nobody's worked with this guy. Or I can't believe this guy, you know, doesn't have a project lined up. Um, and uh, I think uh, beyond that, if you're feeling that way and you feel like it's a good fit for the book, that should be enough, you mm -hmm. know? I mean, yeah. I, 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 you know, I, nobody's like expecting you to hire Greg Capullo out, out of the gate, you know? Yeah. Or, or Steve McNiven. I mean, it, it, I think especially in the independent scenes, you know, just like people haven't often heard of the writers, they often haven't heard of the artists. And so yeah. that's part of the fun of indies is like seeing who's going to be the next superstar. You know, yeah. uh, Ruben Rojas, uh, you know, is going to be the next superstar. I, mm -hmm. I know this. Um, he, he has a long and wonderful career ahead of him. And hopefully I can write his coattails for as much of it as I can. <laughs> uh, but uh, yeah, you know, I, I, I think 
don't get too into your head of like, oh, is there a, a, a bigger market for this particular art style? Because really, mm-hmm. that's more of like that's more of a global question. Is there a market for this concept? Is there a yeah. market for this book? Uh, I think though, if the artist is the right fit for your concept and you're and you think they're really like exciting and cool, mm-hmm. then I would roll the dice on them. Yeah. Absolutely. Sorry, I'm just taking the advantage here um, with you talking about, you know, the artwork of the book, just to show off some of the artwork that I've got set up here for the OZ because... Oh, good. Literally have 22 pages of preview up on the Kickstarter. Uh, the first yeah. 11 pages of issue 1 and the first 11 pages of issue 2. Um, we want to be generous with our previews because yeah. we really do think that the artwork speaks for itself. Yeah. Oh, 100%. Uh, it's like, I think, kind of like you said, like the artist being unknown, like I've never heard of ribbon before like reading the oz and i'm like how is this guy not a top tier artist somewhere yeah, well, it's like the guys are phenomenal the artwork in this book is like, amazing he's he's you know i i wanted somebody who was as as young and hungry as i was and that's that's ruben to a t i mean he was, he's a he's a consummate world builder um you know he uh, does fantastic work for um uh uh, you know, just the, the 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 world building and the designs of everything. He, his action sequences are fantastic, mm-hmm. and um, and yeah, and then he doesn't skimp on the emotional beats. I mean, he does yeah. just some, some really terrific stuff. Yeah, it's just something to be said about you open a new comic that you've never read before. The writing is fantastic, but then when you see the art, you're like, "Thank you, this is awesome." Perfectly matches up and meshes with with what's being said, just like Spencer and Locke did, in my opinion. Um, so, yeah, another another book that's my baby. Yes, yeah, but yeah, mm-hmm. Ruben has his like artwork in this just fits the OZ perfectly. Like it yeah. just he really like helps transport you into this gritty, like you said, post apocalyptic looking Oz that's in the middle of this war, and really brings you into the midst of it, and really makes the emotions come off the page as well as you said too. Like um, you know, with Dorothy, like dealing with her PTSD and dealing with being back in the war zone and being confronted with all of this stuff, you feel what she's going through as well, and feel this world she's now stuck in. It's like he's he does such a phenomenal job, and that and the writing together just honestly makes us such a phenomenal story. You know, I I, uh, I I I when you're working with somebody like Ruben and and Whitney, you know, it's it's uh, it's easy to to to. To work in a book with with them, um, you know they're both just really terrific, and 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 uh, letter D Z Hopkins uh, uh, deserves a Purple Heart for making my dialogue look good. Um, yeah, you know I, I uh, it, it's been a really fun process making this book. It's definitely been like a positive feedback loop for all involved. Every time somebody turns in new pages, uh, the rest of us get really excited, and that just only inspires us to bring our A game. Whether it's mm-hmm. Ruben with his pages or or Whitney with her colors, or uh, you know Dave with with his lettering and his sound effects, uh, down to me, you know, as far as like, okay, do I need to punch up any dialogue, or just the the sheer editorial process? Like, I think that's something that a lot of people don't really understand about indie comics. Is um, you know, if I was just writing it, I'd be I'd, be, I'd have been done with the book a year ago. Um, the editorial process, to be honest, is much harder. It's much more challenging, and it's much more time consuming. Um, and so for me, you know, it's very much like I look at every single element of the book. Um, you know, I'm looking at Ruben's panel layouts. I'm looking at his thumbnails and his pencils and his inks. And I'm looking at Whitney's colors and figuring out, like, each panel, like, does this work? 
and uh, and e I'm looking at every single line. Um, you know, is, are my have I overwritten the line? You know, what's the the caption placement? You know, is this word balloon too close to this narrative caption? Um, you know, it's it's a lot of moving parts, and um, but working with a team like this, like it's exciting. Like every time I get uh, new pages, you know, like there's a little bit of fear, but it's mostly just pure excitement. Um, and so, uh, yeah, it's it's uh, it's been a really fun process. And I think I, I mentioned this in another interview the other day, but I think the difference between the OZ and some of my other books is um, all a little bit more experienced. Uh, you know, I think you know Spencer and Locke. There was that that tension of this is my very first book, and um, and and Jorge Santiago Jr., the artist on that book, that was his first big you know non self published book. And um, so, you know, there's sort of that that fear for all of us of like, oh, man, like, I think this looks good, but like, who knows if it's going to, you know, stick the landing. And, yeah. and we felt the same way about volume two. And we felt the same way about going to the chapel because I was working with people who it was very first work or, or, or soon into it. And I think for the OZ, we're all a little bit more seasoned. We're a little mm -hmm. bit more experienced. And so the, there's a little bit less of the tension of like, oh, do I suck at this? Like. Mm -hmm. We we now know like okay if I feel good about this, somebody's gonna feel good about this. I don't yeah. know what the ratio is gonna be, but like yeah. it's gonna be like a, a total total stinker. It'll find and an audience. Yeah. It just it, it gives us uh, time to just gives us more room to have fun mm -hmm. and really just it, and just focus on the positive side rather than the fear. And it's just like oh man, I just got more room in pages. This is terrific. Yeah. Uh, and and seeing Whitney's colors on it. I mean. Now, this is a book, I will say, that I knew this was going to be a, a, a strong book. Mm -hmm. Usually, the book doesn't come together until the lettering comes in. Mm -hmm. you, know, like, you see the, the colored art, but you, you just don't know if it's going to connect until you yeah. get um, That was not the case in the OZ. Uh, I knew, I, I mean, I knew when, pens, when, when inks came in, this was going to be good. Mm -hmm. I knew when colors came in that, that, that we had nailed it. Yeah. And, and I think we actually had gotten some letters on some uncolored pages. And even then I was like, okay, this is clicking. This yeah. is clicking already. So the fact that like, you know that this is gonna be good even without the full thing assembled, that is a, that's a unique experience for me. And um, I think it just, it, it is a testament to the, the creative talents of this team. Speaking of speaking of the coloring, there's a very noticeable like desaturation of the color that sets a mood like yeah. throughout the whole comic was that like was that an intentional thing because i think there's something there's something similar with spencer and Locke. like you use color to set moods in very specific <laughs> parts of the comic it was that intentional yeah. for this one yes um yeah, um, yeah. and and in, in fact we, we we did a little bit of extra desaturation on every page um yeah. just before we sent it to printing uh it was sort of a little bit of an homage to like old school vertigo yeah um you know in, in that regard like like dmz especially um, or like anything Eduardo Riso, you know, uh, would, would, would do back in the day. Um, yeah, I mean, colors are so important. Um, you know, I, I, I was an intern at DC um, during Batman R.I.P. and Final Crisis, and that's where I got my start in the industry. And they really drilled into me. They said, you know, look, everyone knows that art makes or breaks a comic, but I think nobody, not a lot of people know that it's the colors that make or break the art. Mm -hmm. um, you know, you have to find the right colorist for your artist. Um, and it is mm -hmm. not... I can tell you that in all, the, with the exception of Scout's Honor, every book I've worked on, the first colorist I've approached has not been 
final colorist. Like, it takes a while. You want to make sure that like there are plenty of talented colorists out there. It's just their style and the way that they render and the way they approach things does not always fit. Yeah. You know, um, uh, doesn't always fit for for the uh, for the line artist. Mm-hmm. And so, um, you know, I, I, I'm I'm pretty ruthless about it. To be honest, yeah. I I talk with Whitney about colors just as much as I talk with Ruben about the intricacies of the line art. That's interesting. Um, and so, um, yeah, I mean, the thing I talk a lot about with Whitney is like, what's the Mad Max version of Star Wars look like? You know, it's got that little bit of you know post-apocalyptic desaturation, but every location has its own unique palette and vibe mm-hmm. and, and high concept and dangers and threats mm-hmm. and you know you know the difference between Hoth and Coruscant and and we're trying to do the same thing in the OC where it's like all these different settings have a different palette and a different temperature and a different vibe and um, I think Whitney just really has hit the ground running with this and she's just honestly I, I, I could not have asked for a better collaborator uh, to work with uh, 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 on the colors than, than Whitney. And I tell her every chance that I get, I'm like, this is not going to be the last book we do together. Yeah. Like, like she is, she is, uh, and it's such a, it's such a, a marked difference from her work on giant days. Um, you know, uh, that like, I, I think she's a very versatile colorist and I'm excited. People are so, are, are really recognizing uh, uh, she and Ruben and, and, and DC's talents. Absolutely. Absolutely, it's it's definitely something that deserves to be highly praised. The team that you've put together for this book and it, it everything just clicks. Even as a reader coming into it, it's like everything just clicks in the book. Everything just fits and makes Thank everything you. is elevated by everything else. It's almost yeah. like it's this circular <laughs> thing of like the writing elevates the art, which is elevated by the color. It's elevated by the lettering, which then elevates the writing. It's like all of it just keeps yeah. like building on each other, and uh, it's probably the f- it's the first time in a long time I've read a comic where it's like I felt very immersed in the world, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Oh, very immersed you. in like what was going on. Like I felt like I was in the middle of the OZ and I was feeling what was going on. And yeah, and Thank I've read so many comics recently where it's like, yeah, they're great stories, great comics, one hundred percent worth checking out. But like, you're still aware you're reading a comic. Like this one, yeah. honestly, like this was an immersive experience. At least that's what I felt for it. Yeah. And, it's like and that's i think that's why i'm so excited like i, I messaged you on twitter saying like i i'm mad that i have to wait to march to read the next <laughs> issue like I'm, yeah. I'm, I'm ready to go i want to see what happens next i'm like i have to wait seven months to find out what's going on i'm no. like I, I, like no i need to know excited. what comes next you know i'm excited as well i mean you know because you know there's a reason why we we took a year in between uh, kickstarters and you know part of it was part of it was scouts honor came out in january and um, that got more traction than I expected, and so I realized very quickly, like I didn't want to cannibalize the, you know, uh, the attention for either of the books. Mm, um, but also, you know, Ruben, um, he lives in Spain. You know, it's a COVID hotspot, and so there there were some COVID related production delays as well. And so we wanted to make sure we waited until we had like a good critical mass of pages before we went back into the Kickstarter. Mm-hmm. And so, um, you know, first half, uh, you know, uh, so the first twenty two pages, those are done. Um, and uh, Ruben is, is hard at work on the back half of the book right now. And um, I, I've seen, you know, he, he, I've seen his thumbnails already. They look incredible. Um, and so he is just kind of chipping through as, as, as fast as he can. And, um, 
you know, Ruben has really grown into this book in a big way. It, you see his talent already kind of uh, really expanding in a, in a noticeable way. And so um, I, I want readers to know this is going to be worth the wait. Mm-hmm. Um, the series is already written, so I, I know how it ends. Um, and so it's, it's and, you know, Ruben and Whitney and, and DC, we're all committed for the long haul on this. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's really, we want readers uh, to know that, that we've been putting in the time uh, we 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 have not wasted any any any, any you know a second on mm-hmm. this. And uh, issue one was the exposition. You know we were just having our vegetables. Uh, issue two, now that everything's set up, we really get to floor it in a in a cool way. You know um, we get to explore new corners of the occupied zone, but we also get to meet some new characters. Um, you know we get to uh, introduce the Prince of Lions and Jack Pumpkinhead. Um, uh, you know, uh, who are really going to help, help round out the cast in a, in a really cool way. Uh, and we're going to get to see more of uh, Scarecrow and Toto. Um, and sort of, you know, all these characters together, uh, they're going to impact Dorothy and the Tin Soldier in a lot of different ways. Some good and, and some really harrowing. Yeah. And, um, yeah, it's just kind of fun to, to, to put all these characters in the same room and watch the sparks fly. I, I, I talk a lot about Chrono Trigger and Final Fantasy VII. Um, and those are big influences on the way that this team got, of archetypes is, is thrown together. Um, the Prince of Lions, especially, that's Ruben's favorite character to draw. Mm-hmm. Um, and so uh, seeing... It looks awesome, by the way. Yeah, I was going to say, it's like, you, you can tell it does some on here. On it is... <laughs> yeah, it's, it's, it's super cool. Um, and, and, and Ruben has just really just nailed it in an amazing way. Um, you know, he he was informed a lot by uh, Chadwick Boseman's Black Panther. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I had written I had written the book obviously long before Chadwick passed, and um, or, or you know before anybody even knew he was sick, and um, yeah, just this idea of a character who he knows that there's it's one thing to be brave when you're just fighting for yourself. What's like the calculus of courage? How does that change when you're the king of the animal kingdom and you're fighting for millions of your people? You know how does the how does the how do you shoulder the weight of that responsibility, um, and 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 come out with your courage intact? That's something that he and Dorothy will have in common, you know. And so I think they will have like a real sense of respect between between each other over that. And um, I think uh, uh, Jack Pumpkinhead, meanwhile, you know, I I, I drew a lot of uh, the Marvel comics version of Taskmaster, the mm-hmm. character. You know, just this like blue collar mercenary with like this very dry sense of humor, and yeah. uh, but just like a real knack for the job. And um, even writing it on the scripts, like Jack's line, Jack was Jack's one of my favorite characters to write, uh, just because like every line just like popped, even yeah. in the stage. Like I was just like, oh, like you can see it. Yeah. Um, and you know, we also get to see some cool stuff. You know, like I said, Scarecrow and, and Toto. Um, you know. Scarecrow, we, we, we get to see him in action a little bit more. Mm-hmm. Um, see kind of some of the lengths he'll 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 go to 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 maintain power. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, and and I'm excited. Issue three, we really get in his head in a, in a, in a really fun yeah. way. Um, but I, I can't help but feel for him. I think he's my favorite villain I've written. Mm-hmm. Um, if not him, Roe Triley, But it's like they're neck and neck um, because he was supposed to be the the genius. He was the only. He was the one that everybody trusted to, yeah. to 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 lead, and he's learned that he's sort of the critic turned pro who couldn't hack it. 
now. Um, he's realizing that like his ideas were not enough to, 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 to save the day. And that has really embittered him and, and corrupted him, and I, and I think in a really honest way. It's, he, he's really broken around his own ego. Uh, whereas Toto, you know, I mean, without spoiling too much, you know, I mean, we had some, we, I, I think, uh, our, our reveal of Toto in the last issue was my, uh, my favorite part of issue one. Well, I was yeah. going to say uh, that, um, just some of the stuff we're hitting on here, we were going to look to dive into issue one a little bit. Let's start to do that since we're starting to hit yeah. some of this stuff. So issue one, um, yeah. we're going to spoil a few things, a few reveals, but there's nothing major that we're going to talk yeah. into, um, about it. So... Um, so let's start first of all with that one with Scarecrow, like that yeah. that so, reveal at the end of chapter one. Yeah, because there's two be- chapters to the book, so it's like it's like you basically get two issues in one, and yes. the issue yeah. one that's in here ends with the reveal that the major power vacuum, one of the major players, is Scarecrow, who yeah. is not only one of the major power players, but is basically taking over where the Wicked Witch of the West left off. He's mm-hmm. controlling the flying monkeys. Jack Pumpkinhead's yeah. like a lieutenant for him. It's like he's he's the villain of this piece. Yeah, like he's, I he's knew he was one. like the stuff that you put out for issue two. Like I knew he was going to be like one of the fighting factions, mm-hmm. yeah. and it's like oh he's leading a faction, but like no no he's literally the villain. He's literally this. the villain. Yeah. So um, Cross and I, Cross and I had talked before this, and I was halfway through it. I was halfway through the the the, the first issue. And he was asking me what I thought, and I was like, I, I think I need, I still need some more time because it was like a, it's a slow roll, right? Because you're setting up everything, expedition, setting up the characters. But when that reveal, when that dropped, I was like, yes, this is awesome because you're taking, you know, what we found out in the movie, like he's now the smartest dude in us, right? So where does, where do you go from that? Like, what happens? What happens with that? Well, he's he's got the brains and none of the yeah. heart. Yeah, I, I think that that kind of helped, you know, clinch it for me. And just also, you know, it 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 worked out well because you know, re- you know, reading rereading the original L. Frank Baum novels, it's like when the wizard left, they they left everything in charge to the scarecrow. You know, they're like, you're the you're the one who's smart enough to handle this. And I think it's kind of heartbreaking that like, no, he wasn't. And it's not because he's an idiot. It's just because it's it's that hard to run a country. Yeah, uh, that many sort of competing interests, and the fact that like you know, it's not like he was democratically elected. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, it was it was a coup essentially. Pretty you hard. know, yeah. it was it was it was an armed coup, and you know, and then Dorothy, you know, again, you know, she was a kid. You know, it's not like she, you know, and and obviously well before Vietnam or anything like that or or Afghanistan. But, you know, she doesn't know anything about geopolitics. She's just like, oh, well, save the day, I'm out. Yeah, oh, yeah. Peace. <laughs> yeah. You know? And yeah. that, that she, she did not do the Scarecrow any favors. Mm-hmm. And um, and so I, I feel for him in a way. I mean, I mean, don't get me wrong. Like, he is very, he, he's definitely the villain of the piece. <laughs> but I, I understand exactly how he got there. And I think it's yeah. really heartbreaking when you remember that, like, once upon a time, he was a sweet guy. Yeah, and uh, and and you see just how you know his circumstances really um, really curdled him in a, in a in a really kind of nasty way. Yeah, yeah, because like at the end of this, that's the thing. At the end of the Wizard of Oz, you've got this guy who, like you said, is this really sweet, nice guy, really <clears throat> lovable character, and now he's yeah. been like birthed with all this knowledge that he never had before, yeah. and not, that he's had for like five minutes, and then basically the Wicked Witch of the West West is dead. 
the wizard's mm-hmm. gone, Dorothy's gone, there's this massive power vacuum and he's basically been told, okay, you deal with it, you're the smartest person here. Yeah. Yeah. Like, I'm like, yeah, it's, nothing to do with like, yeah. can you do no, this? On the do you have the ability to do this? Are you capable of this? No, just you're the smartest, you run it. And, uh, yeah, yeah. And, 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 and I think he's also the type where it's like, you know, when he got smart, he got an ego. Mm-hmm. And, you know, he was like, yeah, I can handle this. Yeah. And he, he has learned sort of by death by a thousand cuts that, I don't know, can he handle this man? And so that's why he has taken Oz and, and sort of he's, he sees a war economy as you know, re- not the easy way out, but like the only sustainable way out. Yeah. Uh, you know, he, he, he's sort of, he's gone from blue sky thinking to, to, to having reality slap him a few times and now he's got a very narrow focus. Yeah, because yeah. I think he even mentions that in the book. He's like, this war economy is like, it's, it's more like this is controllable. I know what yeah, to this... do with this. I know how to keep this on path. Like when everything was at peace and everything was calm, I'm like, no, this is, this is not a manageable thing. It's like, no, this is actually, the war torn world is actually a lot more simple, and it's yeah. like we can keep control of that a lot easier. And and you can see him like a little bit mad with power now. Yeah, like exactly. That, All like that image of him at the end of chapter one. I'm like that image. Ruben Rowe has done an amazing job with that, and the coloring on it is like yeah. you look at him and you're like, oh, what happened to you? Very unnatural coloring, and and uh, yeah, just you know by fact that you know certain ways he's cut corners. You know, yeah, it, it, you know, he's been overwhelmed, and so he's like, all right, we got the wicked witch's broomstick. We're gonna use it. Yeah, um, you know, leave nothing on uh, you know on the table here, and. You know, absolute power is uh, is corrupting absolutely, and uh, yeah. So it's he he's he he was definitely a really fun character to write, and um, yeah, issue three especially. Oh, he's got he's got a scene in that that like is one of my favorite beats in the whole series. Um, but he's just he's 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 definitely a fun villain because you have investment there. Yeah, and you know and. Uh, yeah, he's got plans within plans, and so he's not a fighter, mm-hmm. but uh, he's 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 a planner, he's a schemer, and um, you know those those schemes are going to be pretty far-reaching uh, over the course of our series. Absolutely, um, ads in our chat saying that he likes the look of the lion. I think he looks awesome, like from our previous chat, and then says out of all the characters, Scarecrow is perfect for the villain role. And I absolutely have to agree. I think if any of the characters was going to turn and become the villainous character, like the way it's done with Scarecrow is, like you said, it's like, I can see how he got there. Makes sense. It, yeah. The journey makes sense to how he mm-hmm. became this powerful dictator and yeah. is going to war. And it's like, it's just, it's so well done. Like, he's the character that intrigues me the most. Like, the images of Scarecrow were like the reason of, like, I'm excited to see where this book goes. Looking at the images yeah. of him, like, he just looks so cool. Yeah. And just in, in his straw man army. Um, mm-hmm. which uh, they're that they are very I love the way that Ruben has designed them and um and 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 we we have a little thing that we'll we'll see how how much it gets reflected in the actual text but um I had originally written in my script that I was like you know I kind of want the scarecrow to be a little deflated because he keeps using pieces of his own straw to animate his own army Ooh, and that's like, an interesting and, um you know and and uh, we we have a little bit of it but I just I like the idea that like yeah, this this villain is just like kind of weird looking, and like there's something unnatural about him. Like if you saw him walking around, 
you immediately like your uncanny valley like flight or fight would, would, would begin. <laughs> I don't and, like this. Yeah, it, you know it's it, you know it's like imagine if like a Tim Burton like animatronic was real and walking Jeez. around. Yeah, you know, and that's something that I think of a lot when I when I when I when I wrote about the scarecrow. Definitely, and I also want to flip over to the other side because obviously Scarecrow's a villain, but there's obviously a resistance fighting against him. And we yeah. kinda we kinda touched on the, the the head of the resistance, if that's the right role. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, Odo. We're, um, we're initially introduced to him as the floating green head, kind of similar to like <laughs> this is the new wizard almost. Yeah. And like, because I'm literally yeah. reading that and I'm like, who the heck is it? Like, I'm trying to think of what characters are left and I'm like, who the hell's still here that could be the wizard or is it a new character? And we pull back the curtain and it's Toto. Yeah. Yeah. Did not see uh, that reveal coming of anything in the A talking Toto. Yeah, Toto, yeah. who is still alive because this is at the point we're dealing with Dorothy's granddaughter. So we even see like the OG Dorothy, like kind of older in life and. So Toto yeah. is alive way beyond his years. Uh, magic, uh, magic it, works differently uh, yeah. for for animals in, in in Oz, and that's how he's he's learned to speak, and how he's been able to live well beyond what a, a normal terrier would would be able to live. And um, I yeah, that that's probably my favorite beat in the whole first issue um, is 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 getting Toto back into the game. Um, I, I, I come by it honestly. Um, you know, I've, I've had little Karen Terriers my whole life. Uh, my, my parents had them before they had me. Um, and actually, as I was writing the OZ, we had just adopted uh, my parents, uh, Karen Holly. Um, and we, we, we brought her home with us uh, back to Los Angeles. And as I was writing this, and, you know, Holly was such a, a sweet dog, that, and she loved me so much that, of course, I was like, it was fun kind of anthropomorphizing Toto a little bit as, as sort of the, our, our love letter to our pup. And, uh, she passed just before COVID uh, shut everything oh, down. She she had melanoma, and we we yeah. we cared for her for that final year. And um, I remember when we got the diagnosis, I rewrote Toto's arc immediately, oh. um, uh, because I was like, you know, there are certain things I can't control in the real world, but I'll be damned if I yeah. let it repeat itself in my fiction. Yeah. So um, we got those those Toto reveal pages, uh, you know, I think a month or so after Holly passed, and mm-hmm. uh, now now we have a new Karen Terror, uh, Ruby. Um, you know, we got her uh, shortly after our books arrived for the first Kickstarter, and um, yeah, it's it's you know, I I'm so glad that I gave Toto more of a role in the series. You know, mm-hmm. I, he was supposed to be more of like a Ben Kenobi where he was going to be in and out very quickly, and uh, I. Uh, realized like oh no he's such a gift to have in the series because um not only is he like a wonderful exposition machine mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, everybody's more willing to to, to read the exposition uh-huh. that's coming from a little dog's mouth yeah very true also he remind i think he's a good reminder that even like in the most war-torn bleak oppressive you know parts of oz there's still that whimsy and absurdity yeah. you know to, to both oz itself and also our core concept and so, you know, uh, having having Toto in like in like battlefield operations, uh, uh, you know, we have we have a, a scene in uh, in in this issue where like he's strapped to Dorothy's chest, and like that's hilarious, um, you know. I, I like, and so uh, you know, he's got little dog spectacles you can see in in uh, in, in our preview uh, on the Kickstarter. Um, you know, it's just like a fun little beat. Yeah, and I think it really does. I had been debating whether or not, like Toto, you know, having him on the squad was like, yeah. do you need him? Does he is is he does he round everything out? And I think having written it, yes, he does round everything out. And um, 
Um, and it's just nice to have like a thinker yeah. on the team. You know, I mean, Dorothy is a tactician, um, but like you know, we obviously we weren't going to have the Scarecrow. You know, he's 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 the bad guy. So just having like an intellectual uh, mm-hmm. on, on the team, um, you know, it, it, it's very fun. And uh, yeah, if you like Toto in issue one, you definitely uh-huh. definitely definitely want issue two um he's got a, a big damn hero moment that uh, is one of my favorite uh, uh parts of, of of this second issue so one of the things i was on the lookout for when, when i started reading this was those emotional beats that we had talked about this previously when we were speaking with you on spencer and Locke. i, I don't want to misquote you but you said something to the effect of i love to make people cry um, so I was like, yeah, I was I'm on the lookout. Sure I know what you're going to say. Yeah. I'm pretty sure I know the moment you're going to mention. I was look, I was on the lookout for that moment in this comic. And there, you know, when you start off the comic, um, Dorothy, the original Dorothy, is in bed. She's suffering from what I, I think maybe some form of dementia or, or memory loss or whatnot. And she keeps referring to Toto and asking her granddaughter Dorothy to to look after Toto or whatnot. And then when you finally get the reveal that Toto is the man behind the curtain. He uh, and he, he can speak, which is crazy. He asked about Dorothy, and he asked, "Does she remember me?" And then Dorothy says, "She talks about you every day." So I thought that was like a really cool like. Part yeah. Part. You just threw a talking <laughs> animal at me. You have no right to pull on my heartstrings that quickly. <laughs> <laughs> oh, just 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 wait. Uh, Toto will pull your heartstrings some more issues. Uh, it's like it's. He's a great addition to it. I think it's a really yeah. interesting, and like you said, I love the fact it keeps that absurdity of like, yeah, we're we're in the middle of a war zone, but it's still Oz. Yeah, it's still Oz. It's so still, still Oz. We still get all this crazy stuff that happens and all these magical things that take place. Like it's still the same world as our our. You know, it's it's just a, a tiny little puppy. So of course, <laughs> you know, all books are better with puppies anyway. So of course, like, you know, it's it's it really it it, it is a win win. Dogs make the world go round. Yes. And to jump into our new main character, I guess, for this sequel to The Wizard of Oz, because, like, she's. Because the whole first issue is essentially her story of setting her up as Dorothy Gale. But not the original Dorothy Gale. This is her granddaughter, Dorothy, who is a, a war veteran who's came back home, is clearly suffering from her PTSD. Mm-hmm. and is taking care of her grandmother as well and struggling through life struggling to adapt to life back in normalcy if you want to call it that yeah you know it, i drew a lot of uh of dorothy's characterization I, you know once upon a time I, I was a newspaper reporter and one of the the beats that i had was the local military beat so i interviewed a lot of veterans coming back home and this was this is in 2009 in berkshire county massachusetts so it was a, it was an interesting area because it was it was like half economically depressed and then half like northeasterners like summer homes, and so you could go from like you know a really rich home to to, to crushing poverty within like a couple of blocks, and it was during the height of the recession, um, and uh, you know talking to people coming home from all this, you know they they talked a lot about um, the sense of of isolation and alienation they felt you know coming home you know especially with people who you know there's no way to accurately convey what it's like overseas you know if you haven't if you haven't served um you know talking about things like the the feeling of hyper vigilance you know and um and, and uh how, how, how the beds felt too soft coming home and uh you know and 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 how there was a strict sense of structure over there 
and how over here, you know, it's kind of the Wild West. They throw you in the deep end of the pool and they expect mm-hmm. you to, to, to make it with very little in the way of support. Um, I remember one guy telling me that, like, he would go to the local pool and he would just, like, hold his breath and he would just curl up and, you know, like, you know, go underwater and he'd, he'd be down there as long as he could because that's where he felt, like, most calm and safe and quiet. Mm-hmm. And those all really struck me. Um, and, and also the, the big thing was the, uh, the, the rapid emotional shifts, mm-hmm. uh, you know, that, that you could just, you know, you could be angry and have no idea. You could be like, you know, hypersensitive and have no idea. Um, and how so- certain things can just immediately bring you back. Like, if not like your actual memory, like physiologically, mm-hmm. you know, you, you hear the stories all the time about, you know, July 4th. You know, and and people being like, "Oh my God!" or you know, somebody swerving on a on a on a road because they see a, a bag and they think IED. You know, um, and those were all things I tried to synthesize into Dorothy's character. But I mean, to be honest, I think those interviews affected a lot of uh, Detective Locke and Spencer and Locke in a big way. And I I do consider Dorothy and Locke to be kind of like spiritual cousins in mm-hmm. in, in, in that regard. Um, and whereas Locke, we took sort of a different angle, you know, about, you know, childhood trauma and, 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 and abuse and, and mm-hmm. mental illness. Um, you know, Dorothy, it, it, it's, 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 yeah, what did you see in the theater of war? And um, for her, I think, on the one hand, you know, it, I mean, she wanted to serve. She wanted to stick up for the little guy. She, she, and she does so. But, um, you know, based on her time overseas, she's like, she's seen a lot of people that she worked with die uh she's seen a lot of civilians die and uh in really horrible and and often senseless ways so she's she's come back thinking like you know what was it all for what did it all mean did it mean anything what's my purpose what's my direction in life the difference being is that when she was in iraq you know there was a degree of anonymity you know she was one set of boots amongst many she was not she might have been like making some you know on the ground decisions with her with her uh her squad but like she was not you know making any big picture decisions about the direction of the war and oz based on by virtue of her grandmother was dorothy's seen as the closest thing to royalty everyone's looking to her for answers everyone's looking to her for directions and um she's realizing that like it's a very different skill set from being a soldier on the ground to being sort of a political symbolic figurehead, um, and and she's realizing these are very different skill sets, and that that burden of responsibility feels only more crushing to her. Mm. But I think the reason she does this is she also sees, whether it's consciously or not, I think she does see a chance for catharsis. She does see a cha- an opportunity to correct things that once went wrong. It's a second chance. You know, she 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 couldn't single-handedly end the war in Iraq, but maybe there's a chance that she can do so here in Oz, um, and that's going to be something that uh, she will have to kind of uh, interrogate and, and we'll have to follow over the course of the series, especially because you know our first issue was her was Dorothy answering the the the, the call of duty, mm-hmm. you know, despite her reluctance, and now she's going to re- find out what the cost of that is, um, and it's it's. You know, war is not easy, uh, and war uh, uh, often comes with a price. And she's gonna witness it being paid firsthand. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Um, and to kind of jump forward a little bit in her story with issue one, and also kind of we see a a partnership 
at the very least forming that I'm assuming is definitely going to be going forward of her and the Tin Man who is now the Tin Soldier. Ah, uh, uh, and there's cool. a definite partnership formed between them that. Yeah, I, I I love the Tin Soldier. I mean, Ruben's design for for him is just superlative. It, I I couldn't have imagined a yeah. better. Uh, I love design. the fact that he basically turned himself into a tank. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I you know, the the metaphor was you know it was it was supposed to be about wounded warriors. You know, it it was you know this is somebody who has been literally destroyed and rebuilt with whatever scrap is around him, and he's a guy who often was sort of the last man standing by virtue of that and and what has that done to him you know he, he, he's literally he was a guy who was defined by his heart and he kind of had to turn that off in yeah. order to serve and uh you know how tragic is that that you know uh the scarecrow just kind of you know he sort of failed in his gifts but the, the tin soldier has sort of had to bury his you know very deeply and um yeah he and dorothy's dynamic their partnership it, it, it's the spine of the book um you know if, if if dorothy is the spiritual cousin to detective Locke, um the tin man is kind of the spiritual cousin to spencer in in, in, in that way um and and so yeah he's he's got some really cool stuff uh uh you know uh, uh in in the series ahead and he he uh yeah he and dorothy are a real fun tag team uh mm-hmm. for, for this especially you know um you know in our in our first issue you know we, we 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 had them fastball specialing each other you know which was super fun as a, as, a, as a creator and a fan um but yeah i i just um yeah he's he's got depth to him um i think there's something about him that just you know it, it does radiate trust and and um and and sort of you know that if if uh, you know your life is on the line there's nobody you want in your corner more than the tin soldier um, and so, Absolutely. yeah, fun stuff planned for him uh, in issues two and three. Um, but yeah, he's uh, he, 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 you know, I I I love writing the character so much, and uh, we've got a lot of fun stuff planned for him. Yeah, I think for him, his real defining moment because in the very beginning, like we get him a little bit at the end of the first chapter one, where. Yeah. You know, we obviously help save Dorothy and stuff, and mm-hmm. um, we get him as the one that takes her to go see Toto and stuff. And um, but his defining moment, I think, really comes in issue one, is the very end, like that final fight with the flying monkeys. Of mm-hmm. you know, try to take Dorothy, who's like, I can't be part of this. I don't want to be part of this. I just want to go home. And I love that, like, with no concern for himself during that. When that attack comes, he doesn't force her. To like join in, he doesn't force her mm-hmm. to help. He doesn't ask yeah. for her help. In fact, he even like almost apologizes, saying like we shouldn't have asked you to take yeah. part in this if you You're weren't right. ready. It's like if you weren't ready, and it's almost like that moment you see that little bit of heart, like it's still there. Yeah. He still yeah. has his heart. He still has what defines him, and he's like, look, we shouldn't have asked you to be part of this. And basically tells her, go run, find someone who can help you. I'm going to take out this attack. I'm going to take on the yeah. flying monkeys and. And he does, and he dives straight into this massive fight, wielding his giant axe and <laughs> like the most badass warrior sort of looking dude. Yeah. And and then you get this great thing of that Dorothy kind of realizes she has to stay and she has to help. Mm-hmm. And we get to see their partnership working together, and literally almost like from the get go, as soon as she decides that, working in tandem with each other, not just fighting back to back, but literally working as a unit, the two of them like just delving straight into it, and it's so good to see. 
Yeah, they, we got some more fun stuff in, in, in that vein, and you'll see a little bit of it in our in our preview on the Kickstarter page. Uh, but yeah, you know, it in certain ways it was it felt like writing an X Men book a little mm-hmm. bit, you know, that Claremont team, um, you know, where you you've got you know that's your Colossus right there. Yeah, even got the Cannonball special in it pretty much as well. <laughs> uh, just you know, seeing. I mean, honestly, that that I think the Tin Soldier and and the Prince of Lions to a lesser extent, but. That is really a case of the design just like dominating. Yeah. Um, you know, I mean, I mean, when I saw Ruben's design for that character, because I had only written issue one by the time that Ruben was on board. Um, I think I started writing issue two shortly after after he came on. I mean, even that even that front cover. Like, yeah, just the silhouette, honestly. Just the silhouette of him. Even that front cover of issue one, like it almost takes you a second to realize Dorothy's on the cover. Mm-hmm. Because yeah. everything just draws you straight to the Tin Soldier. It's like he's just got this presence about him and this design. Like you're automatically drawn there. I think I am most impressed with, with Ruben, and he does not get enough credit for this, so I'm going to give him some credit here, is that um, you know the Tin Soldier, he's a big guy. Mm-hmm. And the fact that like Ruben is able to accommodate him accommodate his, his 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 big size is is something that you'd think it's easy and it is decidedly not you know because you you have him next to normal sized characters or sometimes in scenes with toto where toto's very small and you, you know that's that is a big height differential that you got to figure out when you're when you're putting these panels together and ruben just he gets it very naturally like you know i i know that was Remember uh, Jorge Santiago Jr., my artist and Spencer Locke, he always said that was his biggest challenge, uh, which in just regular scenes was Spencer is like a head and a half taller than everybody else. Yeah. And so how do you fit everybody together in, in, in that regard? And, um, and also, like, you know, the Tin Soldier, like, you know, it, it, it's 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 not like a streamlined design. Like, it's not like super ornate, but like mm-hmm. it's enough detail that, um, you know, and Ruben... Uh, you know, God love him. He he doesn't complain. He's very he's very gracious about it, and he you know he delivers some just really killer work. I, I mean, I, that's what I love working with Ruben so much is that we we've we've agreed the same way that Jorge and I always agreed. Um, we would much rather the work come out right than come out fast. Mm-hmm. And um, and so Ruben doesn't cut corners, and neither do the rest of us. Um, we're you know we're willing to give him as much runway as he needs to get the book done in a way that is worth our our readers' time and money. Yeah. And it's well worth it with the what he's able to pull off, and and just to kind of double what you were saying there of like yeah he definitely deserves praise for that size differential, and I say this in the best way possible of because I didn't notice it, mm-hmm. and it's one yeah, of those, it's one of those things in comics of like if someone doesn't get that size differential right, you become very aware of it, but if someone gets it spot on, you don't even notice it when you're reading. Like it's not even a thought. You're like you just read the book and. Yeah, yeah I, I didn't even thought of that to be completely honest. Like, I, he does it so well, like you wouldn't even consider. Oh yeah, he must have had to work hard to do that. He does it so seamlessly. Yeah, no, he's he's. I mean, yeah, he's he's extremely talented. So I'm very glad to be writing his coattails uh, for this for this book and hopefully others. <laughs> well, I hope so. I would love to see you two you working on more stuff together. Absolutely, it's like I've thoroughly enjoyed the OZ and looking forward to the next issues too and eventually three for that and um, but yeah I'd love to see more stuff from the two of you working together absolutely and um, I think that's most of the major kind of players and stuff in the first OZ and um, the book kind of 
ends with that, like with Dorothy and Tin Soldier kind of like arm in arm like partnership, and it kind of yep. like stops there, which is a good point of like, which is kind of like you said, like this has been all the setup, this has been everything you need to know. Like, so issue two is like, I mean, I'm ready to hit the ground running when I get mm -hmm. that book, I'm ready to dive yeah. into Oz and dive into like, okay, let's do this now. Things are going to escalate in a big way for issue two. Um, you know, we, we've talked about um, uh, the silver slippers, which is what, uh, you know, the, they're kind of a, a weapon of mass destruction. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and the scarecrow desperately wants them so he can bring his war machine to our world. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Oh, I never even mentioned that. Like, I, yeah. That, see, when I read that part, I'm like, oh, you just caught my attention yeah. now. Because I, I yeah. love comic multiverse, all that sort of stuff. So the fact of, like, hey, this is how we're going to use like, the silver slippers in this. And he wants to not just rule Oz, but everything. I'm like, okay, yeah, I'm definitely uh, in. So Dorothy's going to have to, you know, she's really protecting two worlds, perhaps infinite worlds. Mm -hmm. And um, and so that's, you know, now that the silver slippers have been found, it's sort of a do or die mission. And that's mm -hmm. why she's going to have to turn to some unexpected sources for help. Yeah. Um, because, yeah, she's outmanned and outgunned. And so at this point, the only thing that will sort of save Oz, save the resistance, save our world is, uh, you know, a, a sort of a, a dedicated special forces um and and really you know try to beat the scarecrow to the punch um but you know it's uh it's this is going to be a mission with a cost and uh uh it's going to be a particularly harrowing one and uh you know that'll that'll uh you know it'll be an interesting one for dorothy because uh, she's not going to have a choice whether or not she wants to pay it yeah no it's i'm so hyped for it it's like i'm so excited for it um, and the thing i want to Oh, go ahead. Sorry, I just want to grab the chat quickly. Uh, Ad saying uh, Jack Pumpkinhead is his favorite character so far. Uh, shout out to I Freaking Love Comics. Thank you for popping in. Saying, hey, Peppos, thank you so much for coming and hanging out with us, guys. I appreciate it. Of course. Um, uh, but yeah, it's like, but please do go on, David. Well, I was going to say, you know, if you missed our first Kickstarter, uh, we've got catch up tiers to get you mm -hmm. up to speed, both print and digital. Uh, so that way you'll get, you know, you'll, 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 able to catch up on, on all things uh, OZ related. Um, we're trying to meet our readers where they're at, uh, both in terms of uh, accessibility, in terms of continuity, in terms of their budget. And yeah. so, um, you know, we've been offering, you know, we're, we're trying to give readers a lot of bang for their buck. Even just the $5 thank you tier, um, you're going to get the first issue PDF of Spencer and Locke number one and going to the chapel number one. Um, so that you, that, yeah. that's four pages for $5. That's just a, a thank you for giving us any support whatsoever yeah, you throw in ten dollars you get the pdf of, of the oz number two on top of that mm -hmm. you get uh my first issue or you get the the scripts for uh, issue two you get yeah. the raw and the raw colors uh for all that you'll also get our digital comics extravaganza which is going to be another 200 pages of bonus comics from Jeez. just a murderer's row of independent talent we've got uh let's see we have justin jordan rylan grant uh, Brenton Langell, uh, Pat Shand, Eric Palicki, Kat Kalamia, um, a few more names that are that are that are that are trickling in as well. Um, so that's already you're, that's two hundred, uh, at least two hundred pages of uh, of bonus Dang. content. That's awesome. That's just for ten dollars. Um, if if you're a collector, we've got all four covers uh, for issue two for the price of three. Uh, this is a nice discount bundled set. Um, <laughs> If you've missed the last campaign and you're a diehard collector, you can also get all nine covers that we've released for the price of, I believe, it's seven and a half. Um, so you know that it, that is a, it's going to be a steal. 
Um, we've got also my other trade paperbacks if you want to, you know, uh, uh, get up to speed on everything I've ever written. And then we've got the ultra-exclusive tiers, which I'm really excited about. Um, we've got a Skype session with me. So if you want, uh, you know, input on your script, if you want advice on how to run a Kickstarter, how to do comics publicity, or how to navigate Hollywood, you can set the agenda. I'm happy to talk with you for 90 minutes. Nice. Um, we've also got um, uh, uh, commissions from Ruben Rojas. Uh, he did some really... We have a couple of our commissions from last time on the Kickstarter page. He did a lion and a Swamp Thing. Uh, nice. That's awesome. Incredible. Um, uh, you can get drawn into the book. Uh, we've 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 uh, had a couple people already take that option. Uh, it's very exciting. Uh, it's you know you will be in the OZ and it'll be in every copy of the OZ. Not gonna so lie, if I had the money for that tier, one hundred percent. As soon as I read that, I'm like, I want yeah, that. I didn't know have the money to do that tier, but I and, so wanted to so badly. <laughs> yeah, that's awesome. It, it's uh uh you know we've got um uh, a couple of Spencer and Locke handmade plushies. So if you like Spencer and Locke, you can get a, a Spencer doll. Uh, I believe we have two left of those. And then um, this is a really cool one for uh, for my recent book, Scouts Honor, uh, which is about a post-apocalyptic Boy Scout cult. Uh, we did a, a, a cool retailer incentive. We did uh, merit badges um, for things ranging from uh, first aid uh, to hand-to-hand uh, -hand combat to tactical driving to explosives. Uh, we released seven of them in the direct market. However, we made 14. Um, I think some of them are exclusives. I think one of them was a Comics Pro exclusive. One of them might be exclusive to Aftershock and Aftershock staffers. I think there were some there's that they might be saving for cons. Um, this is the only place you can get all 14 patches. That is straight from my personal stash. Um, so we've already had at least one person uh, jump on that. Uh, so we've got at least two more um uh, or i guess at most two more uh, uh ranger scout merit badges left um but yeah if you want to get all 14 this is the only 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 place you can get it um so uh yeah if you want to be the ultimate ranger scout and the ultimate yellow brick road warrior uh you can back that um and yeah like i said we've got all sorts of tiers in the middle um it's gonna be uh, it's gonna be fun yeah. uh, we're very excited uh to show readers what we have in store uh, as far as our, our next stretch goals I mean, it's absolutely amazing, like, all the stuff that's honestly available at all the different tiers. A member of the club hey, thank you, Locksteady, for to the throwing us up another uh, resub there. Thank you so much. Thank you for rejoining the Comic Clan, brother. We appreciate it. Um, but, like, yeah, honestly, like, the amount of stuff that's available, like, some of those upper tiers, like, some of that stuff is phenomenal yeah. to get. But Agreed. Even at, like, the, the lower tiers, like, I had to say that he got the $10 tier, uh, Tom Levine saying the scripts are great. Add thanks for those, um, but yeah, even the stuff that's in the lower tiers, like I like the one, you know, that I'm getting with the comics. Like it's not just like I'm not just paying and getting the four variants, which honestly would have been enough. Like the four variant covers, like at least two of those covers, I am in absolute love with, and I'm like I have to get yeah. these. I have to get these. I mean, and it's you like, can get but there's so much other stuff like in that tier that's listed and bullet pointed under like oh you're also getting this and this and that and they're like there is so much stuff if you back this kickstarter like regardless of what level you back it at you're you're not going to be disappointed for content yeah we, we wanted to make sure readers uh felt like they were getting plenty of bang for their buck yeah. so honestly you know if you have you haven't read this book and you want you know you can plunk down twenty dollars for the digital catch-up tier you get both issues um, and you get uh, Spencer and Locke and go into the chapel, number ones. You also get uh, the, the digital comics extravaganza. Plus, um, you know, we're, we're going to be unveiling some, uh, some, some digital stretch goals soon. 
uh, for some more stuff. So there's there's going to be a lot, a lot, a lot of content. So awesome. um, yeah, definitely well, keep hearing and keep backing. Well, you've hit that first stretch goal you talked about because I think the first stretch goal was like to hit 25,000, if that yeah. was correct. What was that first stretch goal? Because it wasn't like on the page and stuff. Yeah. Yeah, our first our first stretch goal, yeah, it was twenty five thousand dollars for our digital comics extravaganza, and so um, yeah, it's 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 been very exciting to hit that, and we have some other cool things uh, in store. We have um, uh, we have some enamel pins coming um, that we'll be uh, uh, unveiling soon. Um, uh, we've got a, a cool print that we'll be uh, unveiling soon. Uh, we have a couple other add ons that we'll be uh, rolling out as well. Um, uh, you know, uh, uh, the band Bed Death is also working on, on, on another song uh, for the campaign that right. we'll uh, probably roll out as a social stretch goal later. Um, just lots of cool stuff. I mean, the last Kickstarter, I was playing catch up, mm -hmm. um, you know, because I didn't expect we would fund, let alone in two hours. You know, I thought it'd be a 30 day thing. And so this year we've sort of spent the time planning for success. Yeah. So I'm very excited to, to, to show readers what we've been working on. Uh, we'll probably unveil those uh, those stretch tiers either later today or, or first thing tomorrow. Um, uh, and yeah, it's just uh, the, the best is yet to come. Uh, but we want to make sure that all of our readers feel like they're, they're really getting their money's worth. Absolutely. And you definitely have been doing that. And like, and just from like some of the stuff I got from like getting the first issue, like some of the extra add-ons I got along with that that you sent out to is like, I mean, this stuff's legit. Like that. Like I've got that, uh, the enamel pin of like the flying monkey squadron, and mm. like I've got that on my bag now. That thing's legit. That is a solid, yeah. proper like pin. Like that is that could do damage, yeah. sort of thing. You know. <laughs> we have another one uh, that's 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 pretty cool, uh, because yeah, we wanted to make sure our readers uh, our readers could also get their own courage badges, uh, so. Stay tuned. We got a we got a, a another cool enamel pin that we'll be right. uh, we'll be unveiling very soon. That's awesome. Absolutely. So yeah, guys, if you have had any interest in what we've been talking about today and you're not already backing the OZ issue two, it is live on Kickstarter now. Let me put the link back in the chat for that. You can go there, check it out for yourself. There are so many levels. If you want to go all in on this and dump a whole ton of money and get some of the big goals, there's options. But if you don't have that money and that funding, there are some low-level ones where you can still get copies of this, even if it is just the digital issues and you don't have to miss out. This is a phenomenal story. And here at Comics and the Cross, we 100% back it. Um, I know some of our viewers and listeners are uh, into family-friendly content. There are not a lot of things in this that push the family friendly. I think there's like a couple of cuss words throughout it, but like there's nothing that I would say is very on fam beyond family friendly unless there's like a massive like murder scene coming up with like, blood <laughs> all over it or like a. No, no. Um, any anyone who who is shot in the face is a, is a, is a, is a straw man. Um, so there's no blood. There you go. Good uh, to know. <laughs> uh, you know so, yeah, we're 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 you know we're not trying to go too over the top. Um, you know, uh, I think I think at this point, based on what I've seen thus far, uh, yeah, it's like Star Wars level of violence. You yeah. know. Um, oh, okay. Uh, uh, yeah. If anything, issue issue one was much bleaker than issue two. So if you if you read issue one, um, you oh, yeah. are like, totally. Issue totally clean sailing for issue two awesome like yeah i just wanted to put it out there just because we do have some that like the family friendly content and like, personally like i read the issue i didn't have an issue with anything in it there was nothing over the top there was nothing that would put me off it specifically it's like i i 
thoroughly enjoyed it so unless the next two issues take a drastic like tone change at some point like it's very unlikely there's going to be something that would put you off if you like the first issue yeah no it's it yeah we're we're, we're trying to we're not trying to alienate anybody with this and i think that's that's uh part of the tightrope that we walk is that we are we are playing with flammable material yeah. uh you know it's flammable themes but we're trying to do so in a way that we convey it sensitively and that we're not treating anyone's real life struggle as like a punchline or something to be exploited um you know we're, we're trying to be empathetic and show our characters and our readers um the, the the dignity and compassion and empathy and respect that they deserve and um i i feel like that's been our guiding principle uh, ever since my very first book and uh, it's one that i feel very confident that we've uh, that i think we've honored no absolutely i would say from what I've read, like yeah, you've definitely honored that, and and I I look forward to seeing what's to come next. Yeah, thank um, you. Well, more 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 cool stuff is in the works. Um, you know, I'm working on a on a on, a, on probably the biggest swing of my career right now. Um, I, I can't say too much about specifics, but uh, hopefully we'll know. I'll be able to talk about it more either later this year or early next year, whenever whenever it gets announced. Um, but a, re- a really a really fun project that um, I, I've. I, I've I've been working on in, in some capacity for quite a while, and um, yeah, I'm I'm very excited uh, in, in the way that it is seeing the light of day, and uh, uh, yeah, I, I can't wait for, for uh, people to be able to to, to 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 know exactly what it is. All I know is uh, when you see it and you hear what it is, you're gonna be like, "That's a very Pepos idea," and uh, <laughs> that's uh, that's 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 what I like. That's what I like to hear. Nice, awesome. Well, I cannot wait to hear of all the stuff that's coming up. I can't wait to hear what's in the future. Um, in the chat just now, I just dropped some links there for David Pepos himself, and um, where you can find him all over the interwebs. Go and check him out. Keep up to date with everything on his um, personal social media and his newsletter, and uh, check out his website. And of course, the link is there for the Kickstarter. Go and check it out. I mean, that Kickstarter is just is rocked this world about how much is there and there's like 23 days left on it so i i'm excited to see where it goes from there but thank you so much for coming on the show again dave we absolutely appreciate having you you here to come and talk the oz it's been such a good time just getting to delve into this comic with you Uh, well thank you for for taking the time to 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 catch up and thank you for all your support of the book and and anyone watching you can uh, order the oz at bit.ly slash the oz comic uh, you can follow me on Twitter and Instagram at PepposD. That's uh, my last name and first initial. David Pepos Comics on Facebook. Uh, my newsletter, Pep Talks, at bit.ly slash pepnews. Or uh, visit my website at davidpepos.com. Awesome. I think we've hitting everything there. Um, so we are going to head to our um, closing out page. Uh, we're going to go ahead and raid as well over to One Geek 411. They are streaming right now, so we're going to go show some love to them. So please hang out and chat if you're here to go show some love to them. And uh, we will see you all later this week. I will be back tomorrow night at 8.30, playing through some more Kingdom Hearts. Uh, Nitro is back on Tuesday, I believe, at 8.30. We'll be starting on uh, Nick from Co-op Trio's piece. So I'm interested in uh, that. It's going to be awesome. And then for our podcast next Sunday, you get a very special show because I get a week off, which is not something that happens often on this show. Uh, You do. Nitro will be talking with our good friend Locksteady and delving into the world of anime. Yes, we're going to be doing. We're going to be going over our top five animes and talking through that and what that means. We might have an honorable mention list, um, but him and I will discuss that this week. So it'll be fun, man. It'll be fun. 
Awesome. So you all have an absolutely amazing week. We'll see you tomorrow on Tuesday and again next week. And go ahead and check out the OZ. You definitely don't want to miss out on it. Everyone have Thank an you. amazing week. And remember, it is a good week to be a geek. Take care, everyone. Oh, oh, oh. 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 Oh.